Now hey. tuned in to the mother uh, greatest. Hey, hey, welcome to Let's Chat, y'all. I am Miss Leisha. You know, I got my right hand, and most of the time, my left, the fabulous Miss Tony. Hey, T. Hey, Leisha, girl, how you doing? You know, it's Friday. <laughs> the best day Absolutely. of the week. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Now, we're not doing a live today. Because I ain't going to lie, child. I ain't want to do my hair. <laughs> child, I, oh, I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to put no pony. That could have put a little ponytail or something. I didn't want to do nothing to it. So we ain't have, we don't have a live going today. Um, yeah, child, nah. <laughs> Isn't it funny, Leash, how everything is centered around our hair? We need to do a show on our hair. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God! Absolutely. No, I can't go to the store today because my hair. My, no, no, I can't right, go outside and take the garbage out because my hair. <laughs> you want me to take you where? No, I can't take that. My hair ain't done. My hair ain't done. You want to go where? Eat? No, I can't go eat. My hair ain't done. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's some funny stuff. But it's real. I mean, I'm sure a lot of ladies out there can relate to that. <laughs> Child, I was like, mm. and the lives be so fun. So shout out to all of those that join us on the live, y'all, because it does. I have <laughs> we have so much fun on these lives. <laughs> we just we have do. a ball because everybody just be. It's just it's just fun. It's just fun. It's fun to be able to do. Social media has mm-hmm. come so far for us to be able to do it. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways we can do it. We can do Zooms. We can do this. But, you know, I like the way we do it. It's more intimate. It's fun. We're not going to do it every day. Why? Because I don't want to comb my hair, my hair and put on no lip gloss and all of that every day. Ain't nobody got time for that. I I, I just I just don't. Keep it real, Lee. Keep it real. And also, I, Lisa, I love the lives. 
because it gives others that may not be aware of what we do here on Let's Chat a chance to just peek in our doors and see what's all about on that show called Let's Chat. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and it's fun. We love what we do. We'll try to incorporate the lives at least um, more often, maybe closer to the summertime you'll get more uh, because we'll have more um, events that we'll be going to. And that will be mm-hmm. fun to be able to do it live from the event. Mm-hmm. That would be fun because, you know, guys, I don't know if y'all have ever watched, but when we out and about, we should love to go live. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> <laughs> standing on the like, corner no, in the middle of New York like, City. Uh, come on, see, come on, see. Lisa, you live again. <laughs> Low key, y'all, she like it. Low key, she like it because we she be taking baby girl places and be going live and baby girl be like ma. <laughs> she really likes going live. Mhm. She likes the low key. Uh, she like my We influence each other. You, you gotta be. We're influencers. You always gotta be doing something. <laughs> we're influencers. We influence each other. She be sitting on my yeah. left shoulder like Alicia. Look, they be kill you. <laughs> You gonna take that? If you know, <laughs> now you know, girl. <laughs> oh man, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun here on Let's Chat. But for all of you know, we got some new faces in our audience, and we love letting you guys know what we do because, as you can see, me and Alicia, we just get right into it. Like we have no new people up in the chat room, but here on Let's Chat, we love celebrating. Not just literature, but life, all walks of life. And you will see that by the guests that we have in the show tonight. But we love doing it in a royal way, no matter what it may be. We bring all our listeners and our guests to interact in an intimate, fun, and friendly environment. We get to hear the passion behind what it is that they do because you never know who's listening. And you may touch them in some kind of way. And with that being said, we've had some amazing shows lately. Just go back and check those archives. Because we've had some phenomenal shows, and actually, Keisha Kanisha Martin was on a couple of weeks ago talking oh, about her the, so, the murder so of her daughter. Week, it was so awesome. She mm, is mm. phenomenal. That was like the best yes. interview, and she took her pain and she took, you know, her mourning and she turned it into something that can bless other people. It was awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Everything she yes. has going on. Absolutely, and it's going to even go further because it's in the works with uh, to be put on the screen. So make sure you guys look for that. Um, she left it all on the table of Les Chatley. She mm-hmm. just left it out there. And I'm sure anybody that's listening can be, you know, encouraged by her, her drive and just be blessed by what she has given back as a result of this tragic tragedy that has struck her family. So make sure you guys check out those archives for that. Definitely, definitely. We have a great, great show today on tap here for you at Let's Chat. We're talking to talk about still fighting. I was trying to find, because, you know, really, we we kind of talk about the same thing, but we got to change it up. And the topic today is still fighting. It's fighting to be relevant, fighting to Uh be yourself, fighting to um, make your own moves, fighting to kind of just be you, do you, for you. And sometimes that is a fight because everybody's mm-hmm. going to have an opinion. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to have an opinion on what you should do, why you should do, how you should do it, and they may have valid opinions, but it's their opinion. But at the same time, you're right. still always fighting. You're fighting to be you, and that mm-hmm. should be so hard. But in today's society, it is, because society shapes a lot of things that we do, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that same vein, Leash, it also touches on people passing judgment. Because just because I'm not saying something or doing something the way you feel that I should say it or do it, you're passing your judgment on to me, and and in that same breath, you're trying to say what I'm doing and what I'm feeling is wrong. But it's all individuality. You know, I, I may not agree, you may not agree, but we each do what we feel we must do, and no one can dictate how you fight your fight or live your life because this is ours, this is yours. You know, you have to be that individual and not feel that just because it's not going your way, that it's the wrong way. Absolutely. And sometimes even if you have things planned, see, your vision is a fight sometimes. Even when you have things Mm -hmm. planned, it becomes a fight because sometimes you're fighting yourself. You know what I'm saying? You're Mm. fighting yourself for the ability to to do what you want to do, but it becomes disappointment when you can't do it the way you originally planned. So you end up fighting mm-hmm. yourself because you're like, well, I don't mm-hmm. want to do it that way, but this is the best way to get where you want to be. This is the best way to push it forward. You know, so sometimes the fight is within you. And we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about wholeness, and that's really important. That's my whole shout-out to Dr. I'm Dr. I done put that in the world in his spirit. <laughs> Pastor Torway Roberts, y'all. He is really so down to earth and and just really cool. I got to meet him at his book signing um, this past Tuesday here in Georgia, and he is so awesome, so awesome, so awesome. I wish that mm-hmm. uh, his wife would have been able to come, but she does a podcast called Women Evolved on Tuesdays. Um, but so awesome. It was it was the best book signing I have ever been to because it wasn't kind of like a book signing but it was a book signing but when you meet him he's just like real cool like hey like he's just really awesome and so it was really Mm -hmm. great meeting him and being able to Mm -hmm. get him to sign the book and I'm trying to get him on the show uh, sometimes but his schedule is really really like bananas and so I'm trying to see how to work it to be able to get him on to talk a little bit about wholeness. And for all those who don't know what wholeness is, that's just basically being the best version of you, the best version of you that you can be. That's what that's really what wholeness is. And a lot mm-hmm. of times we go into relationships, we go into situations, I don't care what it is, and you're not quite whole. That means that, a lot of times in relationships, the thing that, that the chemistry that draws you guys together could be your brokenness. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes mm-hmm. we have to be mindful of that. We we have to be mindful. You know, somebody had posted um, on Facebook about um, black men being broken or something. And mm-hmm. I thought a little mm-hmm. bit about that, and I was like, if – Everybody is broken. When you get together, it's going to be problems. Then you're going to say, you know, it was a bad relationship. Then you're going to say, you know, I don't want to date black guys. Then you're going to say, I don't want to date black girls. You know, they got attitudes. They got this. They got that. First of all, the chemistry that you guys shared was your brokenness. And sometimes people Mm -hmm. enjoy your brokenness. They'd rather you be that way. 
They prefer you better mm-hmm. when you're broken. They prefer your, you better when you're not the best you can be. They prefer you better when you've just taken anything and accepting anything. They prefer that. They prefer that version of you because they're broken themselves. And they mm-hmm. use your brokenness as a shield to cover their brokenness. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they also could be using that as uh, a camouflage their whole. Absolutely. You know? Hmm. That's Absolutely. a good take on it. And that's and, that and that's, that's why where it lies the problem with, with with when you do decide to 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 shed your brokenness and reaffirm your wholeness, that just creates an uneven yoked relationship, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when two broken people come together, once you are healed or the other is healed, you mm-hmm. fall apart. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and don't send me no emails, y'all. I don't want no emails. Don't be like, Leisha. I'm about to say this. Marriage marriage is great, but I don't see marriage. I personally don't see marriage as a forever thing. I don't mm-hmm. see it as forever. I don't see um Love as a for everything because it's an emotion. Emotions switch on and off. Emotions are never um, consistent. They always change. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have to change with that. Like people are so like, oh, my God, Tisha Campbell and Dwayne Martin got divorced. We're just hearing about it. But most likely they've been separated probably about a year or two before they even told everybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When sometimes when things change, people change. When you focus everything on feelings, because that changes so often, it's hard. It's hard to be able mm-hmm. to, you know, keep that because that's not what it's going to be all the time. That's not how it's going to be all the time, and that's not how you're going to feel all the time. Especially if you got together and you were not whole or the best version of you possible. Because people get married mm-hmm. for the wrong mm-hmm. reasons. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know I my know take on marriage. I know Miss been married for 50 million years, y'all. Child, she's been married for like 30 years. <laughs> but, you know, Leash, I think it's all in the mindset. And I'm sure that, you, first of all, marriage is work. Marriage is hard work. It's, and I'm not going to say it's easy because it's not. And anything, anyone that says it's easy, I, don't, I, don't, I would love to see that on, on, be a fly on that wall. But I think it's how you come into a marriage and what you expect out of a marriage. And you also have to grow in that marriage because you have to complement each other. You have to be able to admit your flaws and see your flaws and know that you're flawed because nothing is perfect. No one is perfect. You know, only our Father above is perfect. So I think it's all in what you expect out of a marriage. And some people may have a bad taste in a marriage and, and, you just never know where that person is. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's a forever because no one's promised forever. No one's promised tomorrow. It's all in what you make it, and it's all in what you expect out of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's just my, my take on it. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. And a lot of times we, we're broken, we get into these relationships, and we don't focus on us. We focus on um, a lot of times people get in relationships, they get married 
or they do it for the wrong reasons. They do it for mm-hmm. security. They do it for this. They do it for something that they're looking for that they think that somebody else can give them, but they can't. Nobody else can mm-hmm. give you happiness. Nobody can can give you that that light on the inside. But you got to be the mm-hmm. best version of you to be able to get that. And then we have children. And then mm-hmm. we have children that are broken because we carry over our baggage and we dump our baggage on them. Majority of the people are raised by single mothers. You know, you have you're going to mm-hmm. have that baggage. That means that I think that a lot of a lot of kids have abandonment issues because either they don't have their dad, they don't have or they don't have their mom. They're missing that person, that person that's mm-hmm. supposed to fill in that space. It's missing, and it's unfortunate, but it happens. Mm-hmm. But I think that mm-hmm. if we have to focus on what we do before we decide to have kids, you know, mm-hmm. you know how they used to say, "What you do when you're pregnant, that's what you produce." If yeah. you're broken when you're pregnant, it, it, before you get pregnant, and then you have a child mm-hmm. in, in your brokenness, you've shifted some of that over to that child. You know what I'm saying? Then how do we help them to heal from that? How do we help them to be better versions of themselves if we don't know how to be better versions of our own self? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different things that kids go through, so many problems that they have. I'm glad that we have our first guest uh, who's mm-hmm. going to be kicking it in the chat room with us, Dr. Nakisha Hammond, um, in today so that's that we can talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. That's that transferred energy. And, um, I, and I believe sometimes that that is so true and not necessarily – through the womb, because I do believe it happens through the womb, because you, you are, you're carrying, you're that vessel carrying that, that new life to emerge. But mm-hmm. I also think it's the environment as well. You know, your environment can also, um, your your energy can also affect, affect your environment, effect as well as affect. Absolutely. And then the things that we put into our bodies, we don't know what we are pouring into our kids. And then they have mm-hmm. um, different dif- different things going on with them, different issues and psychological issues that are just not taken care of. And it's it's hard. It's hard to be a parent and to be healthy yourself and then raise somebody else healthy. You know, it's very hard. And I'm glad that we have her on. She is Florida's top psychologist. She's renowned mm-hmm. for her experience in the field and president of the Florida Psychology Association. So I'm excited to get her take on wholeness and our kids and being parents and how to help them cope and move through things. She's the author and mm-hmm. uh, she's an author and a speaker. Her new book, ADHD Explains. She explains ADHD because, you know, there's so many myths. Some people say it's not a real thing. Some people say it is a real thing. A lot of people say Medicaid. You know, some people don't believe in medication, so I'm excited to to understand the five critical steps to take for success, Um, learn the causes of it, how can we help them, and a lot of adults have it, and so helping Mm -hmm. our kids will be helping ourselves in the process with with tools, you know, people Mm -hmm. are scared to go to the doctor, but you got doctors for everything, and the doctor is there to give you tools to be healthy, so a psychiatrist or a psychologist that doctor is there mm-hmm. to make your mind healthy. If you make your mind healthy, your body will follow. 
but you have to be healthy and you have to understand why you do certain things. And if you need something um, to be able to take care of those things, then you need a doctor. You need a doctor that specializes in that, not one that's going to assume what it needs to happen, um, but that can give you the why, break it down to you, and help you to understand yourself and what you're going through. Mm. That's going to be a a very interesting um, topic to discuss with her because it's prevalent in every day in all walks of life. Absolutely. I definitely agree agree with that. And we also have the fabulous Omar Tyree. We love us some Omar Tyree here on Let's Chat. He's going to be talking about his new music and what he has going on on the horizon. We're going to Mm -hmm. take a short break, and then we're going to have Dr. Nakisha Hammond kicking the chat room doors. Nothing subliminal. 
shorty knows she got her hooks in me. Anytime you spend his time doing nothing, like a break at the job when you lunching. Now we riding around doing nothing together. And it's all gravy like whatever. Just chilling like whatever. We just cruise like whatever. Alright, alright, alright. Yeah! Yes, we are back. We are back. Welcome to Last Chat. I'm Miss Leisha, and you know I got my right hand, and most of the time she is my left hand, the fabulous Miss Tony. We have our first guest coming to kick in with us here in the chat room. We have Dr. Nikisha Hammond. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Last Chat. Yes. Now, we did tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us why you you chose to go into psychology. Um, I really, I, I love children. I love families. That's always been my passion and particularly wanted to go into the field of mental health because, unfortunately, there's such a such a stigma about getting help, um, but it's it's so important, and especially with kids, The great thing is when we really start intervening early with children, we are doing things that potentially can impact their entire lives. And that's always been really exciting to me just to have, just to really help children and teens and adults have a good quality of life. Absolutely. So you've been working in the field. How long have you been um, a psychiatrist in how did you become the president? Uh, I mean, you. I mean, you got to let us know what's what's the tea. <laughs> you do a lot. Yeah. Like you're the president of the Florida Psychology Association, black woman. I mean, that means that psychologists come to you. They ask you questions. They look up to you. They admire you. And it's like, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's been really really exciting. So, um, with the Florida Psychological Association, um, it's a, well, it's a three-year term. So, um, president elect, and then last year I was president, and then this year immediate past president, and um, the first black president ever in the history of the organization mm-hmm. in 70 years. Um, so I'm I'm honored um to to have that, but but again just. I'm really grateful to everyone before me that made that even possible. Um, so that's mm-hmm. been really exciting. I've really loved working with the association because we have gone, I mean, I know obviously you've heard and everyone's heard about the school shootings and everything that's going yeah. on, but the, the point of the matter is we have, everyone really, we have a responsibility. We have to reach out to our legislators. So I've been to D.C. various times. I'm actually well, going again next month, um, but just to talk with federal legislators, we've been to our state capitol, Tallahassee and Florida, and, and and I'm not encouraging anyone to just, you know, run up to Washington, D.C. here, but even there's so much that we can do, um, writing letters, making phone calls as a community to really make a difference and make an impact. So so it's been, you know, an honor, like I said, just to be a part of the association and advocating for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because it was very, very tragic. But I love to see mm. our children are—they're upset, amazing. and they oh, are showing—they're showing more uh, patriotism than the average yes. Arizona. And yeah. I see—I was yes. watching an interview, and there are so mm-hmm. many grown-ups attacking. <laughs> 
Now these are children. These are kids. Exactly. They don't have a vote. They don't have a vote, but they're not. We're we're the ones voting, but they're still not protected. You know, we're the ones making the decisions, and we're still not protecting them. We're not Mm -hmm. protecting them physically. We're not protecting them mentally. We force them to go to schools, but we're not protecting them really. When it comes to different things for them to do when they need to make cuts, the first thing that is cut is anything for children and seniors. That's the first thing that they cut. And so they are voicing, keep making sure that their voice is heard. And you have adults. that are literally attacking right. these kids. Mhm. Right. It's 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 amazing. You're absolutely right. Children. It is. It's the saddest thing for me um, that children, in particular, in our country, and well, many countries, but um, in her country, are are just not prioritized at all. Um, and then we wonder, and we we. It's just like people are baffled. Like mental health, we don't understand, and why our kids are doing these things. And it's like, well. We know the answers. <laughs> we would just have to prioritize. It's not that we don't know what the solutions are. Um, let's get that clear. We have numerous experts in numerous areas. We know what the solutions are, but it takes funding um, to get those things. So as you mentioned, and I agree with you, I am so proud. When I, I follow, you know, all these media sites because I work with the media often, and um, when I see, you know, these stories and the teens especially, and I even said on my Twitter page, frankly, I applaud these kids because they're I hope like they're you know making big changes that honestly many of us adults we're still trying to figure out but they are just advocating and passionate and they're doing amazing things I'm I'm so proud of them like you said they're teens you know mm-hmm. um they shouldn't have to be doing this but they are and I, I respect mm-hmm. them for that and this is Tony Dr. Hammond I'm, I'm sorry no oh, this ahead. is Tony and once again thank you for joining us but it's so true. I am uh, I am amazed that they have even not even necessarily amazed. I'm proud as well. But I think the the future starts with the grassroots of our children. You know, they are mm-hmm. our future. They may not be able to oh, vote yeah. now, but very surely yeah. they will. And they see yeah. what it is that's not working. They are focusing yep. on what's not working and how it's affecting them and those around them like them. So I see good things in the future, and it all starts with the grassroots, and they have taken it, and they Mm -hmm. have run with it, and they are passing the baton. Yeah, they have. It's it's been, like I said, it's so amazing. And and being that, I mean, I live in Florida. I'm a a couple hours away from um, where the shooting happened, and, well, Mm -hmm. and being on the board of directors for the Florida Psychological Association, on that end, I'm, I'm proud of the teens, and I'm so proud of all the members, all the psychologists, I mean, we've been on our listserv. We're still on our listserv, but we have been on there constantly, people with support groups and people with pro bono counseling and just just such an outpour of people wanting to help with this situation, which is amazing to see. And and like I said, we, we have many solutions. It's just that we have to start to prioritize kids and mental health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And we were talking, I don't know how much of the beginning of the show you got, but we were talking about um, wholeness and, and being just the best mm-hmm. version of you you can be. And when you mm-hmm. have and you're not whole yourself, you, you pass a little bit of that brokenness over to them. How is, yes. How are parents... Because society shapes so much of what goes on, whether it's in our homes, yeah. outside of our homes. And people may say it doesn't, but it does. Society and mm-hmm. what it thinks and how it feels. How how can parents um, that need to heal themselves, 
how can they mm-hmm. be able to heal their children? At that's the a same great question. Time? And even right, and, and that's a great question. And even though the book was ADHD explained what every parent needs to know, even though obviously it's mostly about ADHD, I also put a chapter in there that I hope people do not gloss over um, for parents to understand how important self care is. Because mm-hmm. you parents have to make a commitment. I get it. I know it's hard. I mean, I get it. Like, everyone's busy. We're all busy. But parents have to make a commitment for self-care because if we do not take care of ourselves as parents, we cannot properly take care of our child. We cannot, (laughs) right? There's no Mm -hmm. arguments there. Um, So step Mm -hmm. one is making sure to make the commitment for self-care and to take breaks as needed and to get the support, whomever it is. For some kids, I mean, they don't see their parents a lot. That's okay. But have someone mm-hmm. positive in their life. If it's a grandparent, mm-hmm. if it's an aunt, uncle, coworker, teacher, coach, whomever that you trust, make sure they have someone positive in their life. There are so many studies that show the power of connection and how powerful it can be when a child has even one person that's positive in their life. So I say that all the time to parents. If you, for whatever reason, if you're working multiple jobs, whatever the reason is, and you know you can't be there, make sure you find someone positive that can be there for them because they need that more than ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. that you said that because our topic of the week, we do like a trending topic. And a lot of times, especially if you're like a single mother um, or even a single father or just, just not attached, a lot of times mm-hmm. we get so caught up in life. Um, mm-hmm. we, we get caught up in, in ourselves getting yep. somewhere, doing something um, that we forget. And a lot of times we mm-hmm. find ourselves saying, if I can do it by myself, what do I need you for? And just knowing the importance of ben- and the benefits of the right connections to the right people. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the of, um connection and benefits of it, especially when you are a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, connection is everything. <laughs> so so really, when we think up, there's, I mean, there's so many things that kids go through, but I can name some of the top ones that I hear every single week um, in the practice. One of those is bullying. I mean, I wish I could wave a magic wand and make bullying go away. I can't. Um, so mm-hmm. a child has to have the self-esteem, the self-worth, the positive things to think about themselves, they have to have that to go into those situations, especially middle school, which is the worst area or the worst age group, but middle school and high school and things like that. How they get that self-worth is from a positive connection. So even if they're, I mean, they're dealing with uh, divorce, they're dealing with a parent that's, you know, just moved or not working or working too much or whatever the case is, when they have someone in their life that is positive and saying, you know what, Matt, great job. You're doing well in school. You're trying. I'm going to take you out somewhere. I'm going to do something with you. A big brother or a big sister, there's mentors in the community. There's people available in places of worship. I mean, there's so many opportunities, again, a trusted person, but there's so many opportunities to give that child something because that can build them up so that they can deal with bullying, so they can feel good about themselves, so they can do well in school, so they can have better mental health outcomes. I mean, the list is very long. So there's a lot of benefits, but, again, it starts with that parent or caregiver that makes a commitment to make sure this child is emotionally healthy. 
That's so important. And this is Tony, Dr. Hammond. And, and when you touched mm-hmm. on bullying, because uh, Mike, and it's true, middle school is like the toughest school. But sometimes yeah. it even starts as early as that. I'm, my middle guy, he's he's always been into sports and music. And um, mm-hmm. in elementary school even, you know, he's oh, yeah. always Definitely. has this, he's had this presence about him where people gravitate for him, towards him, and he's always playing ball. He's popular. Mm-hmm. So one day he actually saw a new kid in school, and he was he wasn't the most popular. He was being a little bullied, and he took him under his wing, you know. So wow. he brought him into his circle, and a couple Beautiful. of months later, his mom came up to me, and I didn't know anything about it, but she just came up to me and thanked me for what my oh. son had done for her son. That's amazing. And, and that, yes. that that touched me, you know. And he mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Became president of a bullying association in high school. That's so cool. And they go around to the different schools talking about, you know, the the misconceptions of what bullying is. So that is a big key in our children. it is, cool. and, and I love that. I love that you gave that story because it's so mm-hmm. true too. And I, I I tell parents all the time, it's not just about maybe you know whatever. Some kids are very prone to being bullied, and then there's some right. kids that they're still bullied, but not as much. Regardless right. of where your child is at, it's not just about helping your child. Well, let me help you, you know, deal with bullying. But like you just said, you help your child mm-hmm. so they can help someone else too. Because isn't right. this really what mm-hmm. it's all about? I mean, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that story. Mm-hmm. So awesome. <laughs> and just spreading it, you know. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about the. Um, five critical steps to taking uh, yes. to take success uh, and much more. What are those five critical steps to be mentally healthy? Uh, and, and that yeah, parents so. look for as far as helping their children and themselves that have ADHD. Yeah, so there are really five steps that I broke down into the, in the book. Um, the five steps are consultation, evaluation, confirmation, intervention and collaboration. So what that all means is that step one is really to make sure, well, step one and two is really to make sure that the child has a thorough and comprehensive evaluation for ADHD, which I spent probably about three chapters of the book on. I spent a lot of time on it because one of the issues I'm sure you know and and, and many people that are listening understand ADHD is overdiagnosed um, because it's the go-to. It's the easiest thing a whomever, a pediatrician or a teacher or whomever else, will look at a child in five minutes and say, well, you have ADHD. And then they want to start medication, which I think is very unfair to to label the child that quickly after five minutes of seeing them. So instead, there's, which I, like I said, outlined in the book, but there's a series of different tests and and things that you need to look for to make sure the child really does have ADHD. The third step of that is the confirmation, as I mentioned, whether or not it is ADHD, because sometimes it's ADHD, but sometimes it's something else, like a learning mm-hmm. disability or the child's depressed or they're just dealing with life and they have a hard time coping. Um, and then mm-hmm. the last couple of steps are the intervention and then collaboration. So it's really, really important to, and this is a skill, let's say the child is diagnosed when they're eight, you have to start to collaborate and work with other professionals because the child may need uh, more help with, they may need speech, they may need 
therapy. They may need they may need med- medication or not. They may mm-hmm. need you know. There's all these resources they may need. So it's really important for parents to collaborate, especially with the schools as well. Um, and I really outline all of that in the book: how to deal with the schools, how to work with the child at home, and and all those great things. Because I've seen many many children. There's such a stereotype about ADHD. I've seen many, many children be successful, but you have to have the right steps in place for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I have a question because I'm glad you brought up medication. I think that mm-hmm. they're always pushing medication on yep. the kids instead of get, giving more uh, holistic or natural mm-hmm. things that can be done um, to yes. help them because sometimes people feel like they don't even need medicine. They just need maybe uh, more constructive things to do or things to take their mind off. Mm-hmm. There's so many things you can do, but I think when you start pushing them with medication, especially at such young ages, you're producing um, future drug addicts. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I I am not against medication, but I really strongly, strongly, strongly believe, because I've seen it with hundreds of families, um, that it's a lot of times it's not necessarily the first place you need to start. Um, so at this point in my career, I do only evaluations primarily for ADHD and learning disability. But at the beginning of my career, I used to do therapy. And when I did do therapy, the majority of the families I was seeing, they were not taking the medication, but they were getting better with therapy only. And again, not to say for everyone, there's different situations, but the whole my whole entire book, there's nothing in there about medication. Well, first of all, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a psychologist. So I don't even prescribe medication. But the whole entire book is things that parents can do without using medication. Because like you said, there are so many steps that are generally not in place first. And then the first resort is, like you said, okay, just give them medication. Well, you didn't try Mm -hmm. putting things in place at school. You didn't try things at home. There's things that the child can learn. There's all these other tools that you can use before you get to the point of medication. And you might just decide or determine because I had therapy and I had uh, special modifications in the school and I'm doing this at home, the child is getting better and they don't need the medication. (laughs) But normally Mm -hmm. people don't know what to do first which is why I wrote the mm-hmm. book, people don't know those steps first before going to medication. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is Tony, Dr. Hammond. I have a question that I, I'm, I'm wondering about. Can you develop ADHD as an adult but not necessarily as a child? Yes. Yeah. so they do have adult-onset ADHD, um, which is less mm-hmm. common. Um, but it does happen. I have met some adults also with ADHD. Or I think a lot of times what what has happened is they weren't diagnosed in childhood. They did have it in childhood, but they weren't necessarily diagnosed. And then as an adult, you know, they were diagnosed. And honestly, depending on age, I mean, if, you know, the person's 50, 40 years ago when they might have mm-hmm. ADHD, it looked a lot differently. We were calling kids, well, a lot of other names. We didn't need to call right. them bad kids, and they're just lazy and that sort of thing. So we've really grown and understood more what it is right now, which is why we're seeing more mm-hmm. adult cases right now. And would you treat it the same way as you would um, a, a, a child diagnosis? Um, it's, it's a little different because with children, let's say they're eight, there's something called play therapy, 
Um, so it's helping the child learn. It feels like playing to them. Obviously, it's therapy, but they're still learning the skills versus an adult. It's a, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easier to person say 40 because you can sit down and really discuss the, the skills, whereas you wouldn't necessarily do that with an 8-year-old. Um, but more or less, yes, you're still teaching the skills um, within themselves mm-hmm. um, to to sort of better deal with the symptoms. And there's many adults, too, that are very successful with ADHD. They just have to learn to manage the symptoms. Mm, okay. Now I have a question. When you have kids that are in these situations, um, I know that there are so many different things that are going on. And I, you mentioned, I want to go mm-hmm. back because you mentioned how in five mm-hmm. minutes they they diagnose mm-hmm. these kids. And it could just yes. be that they're just going through something. Um, oh, yes. But, you know, take the time to look at that. Like my son, we moved to a new state. And he's in mm-hmm. high school, so he's 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 normally not antisocial, but he's antisocial because he's in just out of his element. So he doesn't yep. talk a lot to people. He doesn't, you know, uh, mingle mm-hmm. a lot with people. And it's not that that he's just going through something. But just think if somebody right. looked at that and was like, oh well, let's give him some medication or let's do this or let's do that. You don't know what their home life is like. You don't know yep. what. what inside struggles, you have so many kids that their parents get divorced and literally, literally split them 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day, seven days a week. You go to school, this person drops you off, this person picks you up, then this person drops you off. They they don't have anything consistent in their life. Right, and and, and, this diagnosis. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's a part I did put in the book because with a good comprehensive psychological evaluation, some of those things you mentioned plus about 20 other factors are looked at because that is important. So what I'm doing, we call it a clinical interview in the field, and I'm doing an interview that takes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. I'm getting a lot of information. I'm knowing, again, are you know are the parents divorced? If you are, what's the time sharing look like how are you you know going back and forth and what is that like when did it happen I mean things about when they were born current stressors that the child is going through I mean there's literally I think the whole chapter on that actually about what you can expect at that type of interview but that's just one part um the other part is looking at do they what is their IQ like some kids are literally having I've seen a lot of kids that have a learning disability um, but instead they were di- misdiagnosed with ADHD because they mm. weren't doing their work in school and it looks like they were not being attentive and they don't want to do their work and they're getting out of their seat. And Well, yeah, because the work that's put in front of them, they don't understand it <laughs> because they have a learning disability. Um, so mm. that's a piece that in an eva- should be in many evaluations, which actually has nothing to do with how smart a child is, which I also explained <laughs> um, in the book. But but looking at is there a learning disability, sometimes there's the child is depressed. So when you cannot focus, even as adults, sometimes if we're going through something, we we forget, you know, forget to do things and we have a hard time concentrating at work and things like that. It's the same thing for kids because they're depressed mm-hmm. or they're anxious or they're worrying about things that they don't need to be worrying about. But sometimes kids take those things on. So a lot of those types of things, depression, anxiety, learning disabilities, and a slew of other things, that could be the cause of the attention problems, not ADHD. 
So ADHD is not the explanation for anything. Um, another part is uh, there could be a medical issue going on, which is why I always recommend, I highly recommend it for every person I see, is to make sure you get a thorough uh, blood work screening. Most kids are not getting blood work, but you should if there's attention issues going on because it could be some type of thyroid issue, blood sugar issue, um, uh, anemia, or all sorts of other medical things that look like ADHD, but really it's not. And you address mm-hmm. that instead. So there are many, many things, and like, like I mentioned, I go into a lot more detail in the book, but there are many things that look like ADHD, which is why we have to stop taking five minutes to give kids this diagnosis. And that's and so important. important. Now, once they are diagnosed and they mm-hmm. are adults and they're going mm-hmm. into the adult world, um, what are some of the things that they can do or some of the resources they can use? Because when you're not whole, you're not the best version of you. And so you have mm-hmm. to get healthy mm-hmm. mentally so that you're able to be able to um, mix and mingle in society. So what are some of those yeah. things? they can do. Also, what are some of those things, because there are a lot of people that are incarcerated, that they have it. Mm-hmm. They come out mm-hmm. with it. What are some of the things that they can do um, as grown-ups, just living life, going through life's um, ups and downs, that they can do to help themselves heal? Yeah. So, one of the things is, it, it really depends. So, with ADHD, it depends on the person and how it affects them. So, let's say for an adult, if the adult is working, then it might really, really be affecting their productivity at work. So actually with the American Disabilities Act, some some uh, work sites will accept ADHD as a, um, as a disability, let's say. So it's, it's a little tricky, but more or less, sometimes it will be accepted as a disability. But the great thing is, even in the workplace, you can have what we call accommodations. So um, changes to make sure that you're more successful. So if you need, you know, a quieter room to get your work done or a smaller work setting because it's just too distracting, if you need ex- extended time to get your work done or whatever it is that you need on the job, sometimes you can get documentation and get those things, which makes a huge difference um, in the workplace. Now at home, it really, really helps two things. One is it really helps to structure the environment differently so that the ADHD symptoms can be managed. But another thing is depending on who's in the home, sometimes if it's just too much to handle, sometimes family therapy can be helpful so that either the kids or the significant other or whomever can understand, you know, how to help you with ADHD as an adult um, and what you need to to really be successful to, to kind of fit into the family. So there's a lot of things that can be done, whether an adult, whether you're a child or a parent raising a child, there's a lot that can be done. Mm. Now, can someone uh, eventually be healed from ADHD? Yes. So um, there's no cure per se, but Mm. what happens, what I've seen is the symptoms will start to diminish. So there's some, let's say kids, there's some kids that will have it, into their teen years, and then by adulthood, you don't really see it. For some kids, it's their teen years and adulthood, they still see it. Um, mm-hmm. But more or less, 
what can happen, which is why I love, 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 um, starting early with kids, is once they learn how to manage the symptoms, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a cure, but it's just that it's so much easier to deal with, even if you have it into your adult years, which is why kids that get help earlier generally tend to be more successful because they pretty much know how to manage it, manage the symptoms when they come up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How important is diet to ADHD? Is that important as well? It is. So the studies are, most studies, it's very mixed, um, the research studies, but um, most studies don't show a huge amount of benefit um, mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, again, there's not a cure. But I have, I mean, I have had some families that say they've, they've changed their diet and they have seen right. good things. So what I've always said is, if you need, I mean, it's any, it could be anything, increasing B vitamins or, I mean, taking out certain foods out of your diet or some people said they try not to do gluten and all these things. I mean, if it works for your child, then, I mean, by all mm-hmm. means do it. There's not a huge body of research right now anyway that show a huge level of success with it, um, but that doesn't right. mean it's not, you know, not helpful. Let's say they did a study for, you know, 50,000 people and only it only helped a hundred, you know what I mean? I mean, it still helps somebody, but it may not help the majority of people. So do it if it works for you. Um, but, but I will recommend just in general, of course, to eat very healthy. Um, cause that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's always going to be beneficial. So diet is important. It's just not necessarily a cure, but they are, they are finding now though some, um, they call it like food medicines and things like that. They're, they're starting to do more research in that area. So, mm-hmm. so we're hopeful. Mm-hmm. Now, I did read somewhere where um, a vegetarian, like I'm glad T brought it up, because they were talking about a vegetarian um, diet um, where Mm -hmm. it's less meat, like meat, something like meat makes people uh, violent, it it makes people do or feel certain ways. What about taking meat out of your diet as a way of changing the way your, your body is balanced? Yeah, it's it's so tricky with kids. I I actually had a um or I have a colleague who's a pediatrician actually, and she has said depending, well she's a pediatrician, so she's in the medical world. She said really depending how people like said take out meat or put in certain things and their diet, it really can shift their like their supplement level and things like that. So what she does in her practice is she's actually giving different supplements, not psychiatric medication, but supplements to children to more or less balance them out if they have ADHD. Um, so in that regard, that may be helpful. It's it's very tricky, though, because if you start taking out certain things, you have to obviously watch your protein intake and your vitamin levels and your supplement levels and, and things like that. So it's really tricky. But, I mean, under the care, especially for kids, under the care of a nutritionist or, I'm sorry, a dietitian um, can be mm-hmm. really helpful. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. a fan of eating healthy, but <laughs> <laughs> they're still they're still working on a research ride to really, really show this this huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. so. so, if you could drop ten jewels um, on us that provide um, mental health, um, what are some of the things that you would drop on us, suggestions that you would suggest to maybe the average person? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is 
and and I said it before, but I'll repeat it again. I I get that mental health is there's a stigma with it, but it's so so critically important, especially for children, um, to get mm-hmm. them help early. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, I will say, I think I said it on like a million radio shows, but I'll say it again: you do not have to choose your religion over mental health or mental health over your religion. Um, you can still worship whomever you worship in your spiritual world and have mental health because a lot of times I found that people are afraid to seek treatment because they say, well, it's like I, I'm believing in a mental health practitioner and then that means I don't love God or something like that, which is so not true. Um, that mm-hmm. is a myth. Um, you can still, and, and there are uh, counselors, let's say the person's a Christian, there are counselors that specialize in Christian counseling, let's say, or whatever the religion is. So you don't have to choose that. It's not a choice. You can have both, um, which is so important because a lot of times people are having those thoughts that I'm trying to choose my religion first and then getting to the point where their child is suicidal or their child mm-hmm. is really suffering, but they won't go in for treatment because of those types okay. of thoughts. So please get rid of those thoughts. Um, the third thing, um, make sure to believe your child. If they are saying they want to hurt themselves in any way, they want to hurt someone else, please believe them and please get them into treatment as soon as possible. Those are red flags. Um, and, mm-hmm. and really, the other thing is just listening, especially as a parent, to listen to your gut because I think a lot of parents, we have really good instincts that something's off, something's wrong, my child seems different. And you have those things and you try everything at home. Um, that's really the step to to getting mental health treatment, and I just mm-hmm. I can't stress it enough because, I mean, you're talking about saving lives, <laughs> right? Um, that's how powerful mm-hmm. it is right now. I I don't remember, I mean, I don't think ever it happened, well, way long ago, um, when I was in high school or middle school that people were dying by suicide at my, you know, yeah. as a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it's happening now. Like that is real. This is real. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's so important to, to really get help early. Absolutely. I agree. Last year, um, my son, he, we moved here just this past summer. Well, this past, um, summer and his friend committed suicide the last day of school. Oh God, it's so hard. Yeah. Mm. (sighs) Yeah. And you never know what people are going through. You you never know what they're going through. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that we can discuss with our kids as well um, when the things happen as far as like shootings or friends that mm-hmm. um, decide to take them their lives? And how how should parents be able to approach their kids to be able to have an effective conversation? Because, you know, kids are, they're short attention span. If you talk about serious <laughs> stuff too long, it's like, yeah. I don't want to hear all of this. But it's it, we need yes. to be effective when we speak to them. Yes, and and I am a huge fan. Um, I think gone are the days when when parents just say like, okay, we need to sit down and have the talk, and I need to talk to you about this, and have it so formal. Like we need to not do that because kids start to immediately tune out. But instead, mm-hmm. having these conversations in like casual car rides, or you know, you're waiting in line for something like those types of well, non-invasive talks. Um, but I think mm-hmm. as far as the school shooting, the school shootings, one of the things for kids and teens is that they are still learning whether or not they are safe. Um, so mm-hmm. 
we have to, as parents, well, tell them that they are safe right now and, and explain to them the reality. We cannot promise them nothing will ever, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to you, but you can say, I am doing my best to keep you as safe as possible. Most mm-hmm. times schools are safe, you know, just giving the safety conversation. And the second thing is to let them know that you are available for them um, if they, whatever they feel, if they have anxiety, if they have the fear, if they have the sadness. Because like you mentioned, or I think you were, we were talking about before, even with teens, you don't have to be, you don't have to be at that school in Parkland. I mean, th- there's teens all over the country watching this mm-hmm. and terrified right exactly. now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're, they're afraid as they should be. I mean, that's a normal reaction. So normalizing what they're feeling, but also telling mm-hmm. them that you can be there for them. And then the third thing I think, not even just with the school shootings, but just in general as parents, we need to start reminding our children if they don't feel comfortable talking to you, please talk to someone. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Because some kids, right. I mean, it's a reality. They, they're never going to feel comfortable talking to their mom or dad or whomever else, but they'll feel comfortable talking to their friend or their aunt or their grandma or whomever else. But please, I mean, mm-hmm. please encourage them to talk to someone. And if they don't have anyone in their life, then maybe they do need a therapist and then they can talk with them confidentially or confidentially, but they mm-hmm. have to talk to someone. <laughs> in order for them to be healed, in order for them to be emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. And get it out, get it out, instead of continually yes. holding it in. Yes. Dr. Hammond, can you explain to us what's the difference between ADD and ADHD? Is there a big difference? Yeah. Oh, they wanted to say. Yeah. Yep. So there's a difference, basically, to, of course, be confusing. Um, in the medical world, if you went to a pediatrician, they may say ADD which is um, mm-hmm. attention deficit disorder. And then if you went to a psychologist, in our language we say ADHD. And really mm-hmm. we have in the mental health world, we have three types. So most people don't know that, but there's three types of ADHD. Basically one is what we call the inattentive type or inattentive presentation, which is the ADD. So that means a child that's uh, having difficulties with inattention, but they're not hyperactive. So this is not the child that's getting out of their seat, having a hard time sitting still, but they're still having problems with attention and concentration. So that's the ADHD inattentive presentation. Then we have ADHD hyperactivity impulsivity. So that is a type more getting out of the seat, you know, always moving, always on the go, Um, less of the inattentive part, part, but more of the, you know, moving around hyperactivity issue. And then the third type is a combination. We call it a combined presentation. Um, So those Mm -hmm. are the three types that we have. And then, as I mentioned with a pediatrician, they'll just call it ADHD or ADD. So they have their languages a little bit different. Um, But basically, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, more or less the same thing. So Mm -hmm. different types. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, my last question, um, Dr. Hammond, this is still Tony. Is there a difference mm-hmm. in the signs of either one of those between a girl and a boy? Yes, there are. They have found generally, well, it's more diagnosed in boys, a lot more diagnosed in boys. Um, unfortunately mm-hmm. for girls, it's underdiagnosed because, and I've seen it a lot too, because with girls, Usually, they don't have as many uh, behavioral issues, which mm-hmm. is it's a catch twenty two because, which is great. I mean, we don't want the child to have behavioral issues, but then a lot of times girls are sort of missed because they tend to fall under the inattentive 
category instead of the hyperactive getting out of their seat. But mm-hmm. it's still a struggle because it can look like, you know, a little girl can be in class looking like she's paying attention but really just not at all focusing but instead daydreaming. So a lot, a lot of times girls will daydream, they'll be inattentive, be thinking about other things, not listening, and then they don't do well when they're asked to you know, do an assignment because they didn't really pay attention to the instructions, let's say, um, mm-hmm. versus boys tend to be more, well, more active, more hyperactive. So it's maybe a little boy that's getting into trouble. He's always getting out his seat. He's talking to his neighbor and things like that. So that, that's usually the difference in the presentation. And, well, like I said, a lot of times girls being underdiagnosed because of less of the hyperactivity part. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you for that. I love that. It. It's interesting that there's a, there's a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad yeah, that you a... brought up, um, you were talking about their um, – they're learning. Sometimes it could be that the child is bored because they could be gifted and they're, they're not oh, yeah. being challenged. And so when people see them having behavior issues where they're mm-hmm. um, not getting out, of, where they're getting out of their seats, they're not paying attention. It could be that they are bored um, with, oh, yeah. with the class Definitely. and the curriculum at the same time. And you know, it's unfortunate that the first thing that people want to do is you know give them medication. Mm-hmm. To be able I've to, seen that too. I've yeah, seen that too. To be I, able to, to, for the adult to cope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I've <laughs> definitely seen that too. Where that's why an IQ test is so important with the psychological evaluation, which I talk more in detail in the book. But because, like you said, I and I've had that. Like I've tested a child. I'm like, wait a second, they're ridiculously bright. They're so smart. They're so bored. They're getting out of their seat. And getting into trouble because they they already finished their work like 20 minutes before all the other kids. They they're you know they don't have anything to do. The teacher didn't bother to give them extra work or give them something to do. So they especially mm-hmm. the elementary school. So they find things to do and they get into trouble. Um, but that is exactly right. And that's my pet peeve. Why you know again if you but if you look at that child and say well see he's out of his seat all the time and you immediately put them on medication, but they really are gifted. You haven't solved the issue. And so I have a lot of parents that will come to me for second opinion evaluation because they say, oh, this medication is not working or something like that. And it's because they're, it's, it's not treating the right thing. So if a child gets mm-hmm. medication for ADHD but you don't have it and the medication is not working, it's because of mm-hmm. something else. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I see that often. Unnecessary medication. Oh, yes. Absolutely. We so appreciate you coming to kick it with us in the chat room on today, sharing your knowledge, taking time out from your busy schedule. Uh, we want you to shout out your book where everybody can get it in any book signings or events that you'll be attending. Yes, so uh, so the book is ADHD Explained, What Every Parent Needs to Know. It is on pre-order right now on Amazon. I will be having a book signing on May 2nd, and um, that's going to be in Tampa. Um, and uh, more information, for more information about it, KeishaHammond.com, which is D-R-N-E-K-E-S-H-I-A, Hammond.com. Awesome. Well, we so appreciate you for sharing your time with us. Like Lisa said, you know, we know you're a very busy woman. 
attending to very busy and important issues. So we so appreciate you for sharing your time with us tonight. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And you are always welcome here anytime, Dr. Hammond. Great. Sounds good. (laughs) You have a great evening now. You too. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. That was awesome. That was awesome to be able to learn and to understand Mm -hmm. the why. I think a lot of times we don't understand the why, why we do what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't take the time to sit down and understand the why. We want to medicate so quickly. Um, And adults Mm -hmm. as well, whether it's weed or, you know, or medication from Mm -hmm. the doctor, we want to do everything so quick that we don't um, take time and understand why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then you overanalyze and you over tend to over medicate and you just do so much unnecessary if you just had taken the time to actually see what was going on and understand what was going on. I definitely agree. I definitely, definitely agree with that. We don't we don't really take time. Take time to understand, even if it's a friend. Take time to understand mm-hmm. your friend. While you know what mm-hmm. they're going through. A lot of times we make choices and those choices put us in certain situations, and we don't know how to help mm-hmm. our friends get out of those situations. But uh, you right. got to be able to understand. you got to be able to mm-hmm. look at the why. Why is this happening, and what can I do as a friend? What can mm-hmm. I do as a parent? Because sometimes we watch our kids go through these things as a parent, and it's mm-hmm. like we don't feel like we can help them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that helpless feeling overtakes us. I definitely agree. I think I think that when we feel helpless, we start start doing things out of that helplessness. Um, mm-hmm. Just to be doing. <laughs> just to be doing, or feel like we're doing something. Feel like we are doing better. And then you know, mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta do the whole wholeness book because, you know, Pastor Torre's <laughs> book. Is so awesome, but he has a chapter in there um, called I'm Okay. And a lot of times we say we're okay and it's not okay. We're not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay not to be okay. You have to recognize that you're not okay. Even if you don't tell other people you're not okay, you have to know that you are not okay so that you can take steps to be able to um, become a better you and and get healing Mm -hmm. within yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, that's on point. Absolutely. We're going to take a brief break while we wait for the fabulous Omar Tyree to step into the chat room. We're going to talk about our trending topic. We had so many great things. And with the trending topic, I did something a little differently because I didn't make it specific. I wanted to see mm-hmm. where people were in their mind as far as, you know, sometimes when you say things, it's how it's received. Um, mm-hmm. And that determines what direction they go into or the understanding that they have. So I'm excited that we have so many different, um, so much different feedback from mm-hmm. men and women um, about our trending topic. And so we're going to take a brief break. We're going to hit you with a little bit of mm, let's hit on with some of that. 
My Shine. We haven't heard My Shine in a while. I think he has a new okay. album getting ready to come out. He's been in the studio. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. excited. Let's uh, hit you with a little My Shine, and we'll be right back. author looking for promotional services or a reader looking for a great read at low prices in this competitive world of books fighting royalty promotions is dedicated to bringing authors and readers together to build a greater respect for literature through our various promotional services and online bookstore so head over to lightroyaltypromotions.com and check us out Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Let's Chat. I am Miss Leisha. You know I got my right hand, the fabulous Miss Tony. We have had an awesome, awesome show today. Our topic is still fighting. 
We had the fabulous Dr. Nakisha Hammond on. If you missed her interview, no worries. Just go back and catch our archives here on blogtalk.com and also on iTunes or really any podcast app. Um, you can catch our show on, so you don't have to necessarily be connected to Blog Talk to listen to your girls. We have our next fabulous guest, the fabulous Omar Tyree, coming to kick it with us. We love it when he comes into the chat room. He's one of the hardest working men in literature. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Omar. How are you? How are you guys doing? We are good. We are good. You you've got so much going on. Tell us what you got cooking in our in your creative kitchen. I love it well, that I can call him. Like I have his. Like I can get a text. Like I need to get on the show. Like I don't have to wait for the email. I love those type of texts where it's like you want to share. <laughs> so we're excited. Tell us what you got cooking. Have you guys seen the Black Panther movie yet? Yes. Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't? Yeah, no, yes, we've seen it. All right, well, I have a Black Panther song out, and I have an NBA song. And so, you know, like I was saying, that every time I talk to you guys, I'm getting deeper and deeper into this music thing. Now I'm writing songs right now for uh, Britney Spears, uh, Zayn Malik, and I'm trying to get on a soundtrack for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So it's like it's all preliminary stuff. you got to get ex- your stuff accepted. But I'm going to keep pushing. And it's funny how I end up, you know, writing for white pop artists for black and white for black people. You know, so, you know, black people are so hard to get to. It's like that that cool patrol, that thin crowd. You know what I mean? So it's like it's gonna take a while. I end up Britney Spears is like one of the top pop artists in the world, and then this this dude uh, Zane Malik is one of the top British dudes. You know, pretty boy. Uh, he's one of those uh, East Indian pretty boys that lives in London. He was part of that One Direction group. You know, so it's funny how that thing happens. You know, but I'm, I'm gonna keep pushing to make sure that my, my writing gets uh, upheld in another way. If, you know, I focus on reading like they used to. I keep saying that. So, you know, I got to keep pushing to uh, have them celebrate, you know, creative work in another format. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, yeah, that's what I got cooking now. You know, you guys can go to the Black Panther song by the old head. That's what I call myself, the old head, Omar Tyree. <laughs> and I I got two other guys on the song with me. Um uh, YP, the prophet, is from D.C., he's 25, and then Dre Havoc is from Philadelphia, he's 19. And then, uh, you know, the song is the Black Panther, Everything Black. Uh, so you can find that where you Spotify, Twitter, or not Twitter, what do they call it, iTunes and Pandora mm-hmm. and all those different devices where, you know, you download music. And I think I sent you guys the emails, you know, so I emailed you guys that you might have had so many emails you weren't mm-hmm. paying attention to the song. No, I saw it. We it. got that Black Panther. Mm-hmm, we got yeah. it. We got it. We got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm going to keep wow. going. My, my, my goal is to put out 100 songs a year, but I don't want to have songs where people don't know about them. You know what I mean? These two songs I wanted to push real hard. You know, but I'm still raising capital to do the things that I need to do. You know, so 100 songs plus a year, and then I can build mm-hmm. a catalog up like uh, Gambling Huff, my dudes from Philadelphia, a Barry Gordy catalog, a Quincy Jones type catalog, uh, a Marvin Gaye catalog, a James Brown mm-hmm. catalog, a Stevie Wonder catalog. You know, but it won't be all me. I got to go ahead and last songs with these young people. And so that's going to be a tale because a lot of these young people, they want to write their own music. You know, even though they may not be the greatest writers, they they press to write their own stuff. So that's going to be a challenge to 
allow those guys to know that I might know a little bit more about creating, you know, hot stuff, you know what I mean? So I got to prove it first mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. keep rocking and rolling with these young folks. But that's what I'm working on, man. You know, you, I got Hot Lava Entertainment. Uh, that's where you can go to hotlavaentertainment.com, and we're going to continue to uh, build that website as we move forward this year. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is Tony Omar. You have some stuff smelling good up in your creative kitchen, I must say. <laughs> but yeah. with that being said, I saw the Black Panther, and Ant-Man and the Wasp was one of the previews that, that they showed before the movie actually started. Now, how did you get connected with that, and what exactly um, are you doing on, on that collaboration? Well, you know, when the movie was first announced to come out, I immediately wanted to do a song for it. But, you know, I don't have the ties with sort of Hollywood, Marvel Comics and all that. You know, they were making their own choices and whatnot. But I was going to make my song anyway. So I made my song. And when I found out it was coming out in February, at first I thought it was going to come out like in April or May. So I was chilling. And then I found out it was coming out in February. And I was like, whoa, I better hurry up and get on my song. And so this was like September. And then I go ahead, I found a track for October, put my song together, and then I was politicking with a few uh, guys out of Philadelphia. It's this young uh, rapper named LGP Quad who's really blowing up, and I was trying really hard to get him on the record because the buzz that he had already would have helped the record to do great things. But, you know, his buzz is so strong that, you know, I couldn't even negotiate to get him on the record because he has a management group that wants to push him in their own direction. You know, so I've been working on this thing for like the last three, four months. And I wanted to be out in L.A. to really push the thing uh, last weekend with the NBA and the release of the Black Panther movie. But, you know, when you try to negotiate a whole lot of things all at once, you know, you can't do everything you want to do. So now I got a press release set up to push on it, but I still have to raise capital to do that. So I got a lot of things that are set up to go. Uh, and it's just waiting for me to press the detonating button, you know what I mean? And so I keep coming up with new ideas. I'm going to keep coming up with new ideas. But it's do or die this year, man. I'm, I'm going to get in this music, or you're going to have to take me out of here, you know, because there ain't no other <laughs> options, you know what I mean? Like when, when you really mm-hmm. gung-ho about something and you as good as you are with doing it. I, I mean, I got so many songs now you guys would not believe, and there's so many incredible beats out there from young beat producers. Now I met a 17-year-old beat producer, and I, I wrote to four of his tracks. He's 17 years old, and these tracks are dynamite. You know, so it's like, dude, something got to give, you know, so I'm going to keep knocking on these doors until one of them open up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think the last time you was with us, you was telling us about the NBA. This is Tony, I'm sorry. You was telling us about the NBA song. Now, You last weekend was the NBA All-Star out in L.A. Were you out there um, pushing and promoting? I wish I was out there. I was trying to be out there, but, yeah, again, I, there's too many things going on where I couldn't be out there. I wanted to be out in L.A., but the NBA now, they got to stretch toward the playoffs, and then they had the playoffs uh, for the month of May. Then they had the finals in the month of June, and then they had the NBA draft with all the uh, rookies coming in from college, and then they have okay. what they call a free agency period where all the guys are getting, including LeBron this year. Everybody knows LeBron has a free year where he can leave Cleveland if he wants to or go back for big money. And so my song still applies all the way through the summer because guys are still going to be getting signed for huge amounts of money. And so when I say I want an NBA contract, major league, who to contact, get so much dough and luxury sack, it still applies. 
You know what I mean? So that song ain't going nowhere. Uh, I got a video that, that my cousin is putting together. We shot in Philadelphia that's coming out soon. And so I'm going to keep pushing. And then I got to get in position with the NBA arenas and what have you uh, to get folks to pick it up. But, again, the musicians who are already there, the NBA is already playing that song. And it may not have anything to do with the NBA. They may not be talking about anything, but they're just hot songs that they want to play. And so you got to get in position. And then uh, once you're in position, you can keep doing it. On another note, I'm from Philadelphia. So the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, and now i got a song that I'm going to put together for them because they're going to be the most talked about football team, you know, next season. When you win the Super Bowl, they talk about you every day after that, you know what I mean? So the Eagles are going to be talked about all the time, and i got a song for them. So, you know, you just got to keep coming up with stuff, man, and uh, be ready when, when your time is called. I'm going to be ready, man. i got all kinds of stuff. I'm going to be ready. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, yep. uh, you're gonna put me in that sports mode, and I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about you Philly fans, so I'm just gonna let that one go. <laughs> yeah, right, well, I'm gonna be proud of my city, man. It's been a long time for the Eagles doing it, so whatever it is, well, I was nice and kind. Not a long time. I'm it's nice a, it's the only time. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> well, we're not gonna go there. At least I'm gonna be good. <laughs> This is Irene, don't mind. We love him when he yeah. comes on. So tell, I want to go back because you threw out some good names. How did you get hooked up with Britney Spears? How did I get hooked up with who? Britney Spears. Oh, Britney. Okay, well, I, I got a cat in Atlanta. I did a visit just to, to see a cat in Atlanta so I could sit down and vibe with him. And I only met up with him for an hour. I've been trying to do that meeting for months. And I finally met up mm-hmm. with the guy, and all he does is pitch records to labels, label companies. And so, mm-hmm. again, I was in Atlanta. I was trying to get records pitched to uh, T.I.'s crew. T.I. has a whole crew, Grand Hustle. And he has a bunch of artists under him, including a female artist named Tokyo Jet. And so I had songs ready for them. And then my guy called me up, the Atlanta dude, he was in New York. And he called me up and said, uh, well, actually, he texted me. He said, hey, man, Britney Spears and Zayn Malik is looking for stuff. I'm sitting down with RCA and their A&R people right now. And I was like, for real, Britney Spears? I was like, whoa. You know, so immediately I had some R&B songs that were on the pop side. I pulled out two of them, and then I created some new ones. And so then I came up with five, and then I just wrote a new one, uh, a sexy one, because she's 36 years old now. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. she got grown woman mm-hmm. stuff. So my whole angle was write grown stuff, not that old kitty bopper, teen popper stuff. And so I'm taking a, a, a note from Madonna. When Madonna continued to shock the world and come up with new adult, funky, worldwide content, I'm taking a page from that and saying, okay, you you 36 years old now. Don't run around here doing that teeny bopper stuff. you got to have some funky, sexy adult stuff. And so I sent them a whole bunch of stuff that, you know what I mean, that's appropriate on that level. But, again, you got to see what happens, you know what I mean? It's a whole lot of people that's going to be sending them stuff and a whole lot of people with different ideas and some people that's going to be right in line with what they want. I was doing something different because I was saying, like, well, if I'm going to send the same thing everybody else has, then what's the difference? Why are you going to take my work over somebody else you already know if it's the same work? And so I sent them, like, some out-of-the-box stuff, you know what I mean, that's adult, funky stuff, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, all i got to do is land one. I can land one, and I sent them five, and I got number six. You know, so I wait for my guy to get back to me and see what happens, you know, over this weekend. But then the Zayn Malik, if you guys don't know who he is, you spell his name D-A-Y-N. 
and Malik is spelled, of course, M-A-L-I-K. You Google him, and this dude is like, he's like the uh, Justin Timberlake of Britain. You know what I mean? And, and he has that, that, that ethnic look. He got that daggone pretty boy, what they call it, uh, uh, the, the Bollywood look, you know, when you when you uh, from East India and they got the whole Hollywood thing. So he got that look, you know what I mean? Because, again, he's not a white dude. He's an ethnic dude, but he, he, he got the pretty boy look. So that's another one. And the songs I created for him are even hotter than the Britney Spears songs, you know what I mean? So I'm like, yo, I'm really looking forward to that. So both of these guys, if I can just get one, I'm on my way. And then I'm just going to keep landing stuff. Every time my, boo, my dude from Atlanta call me up and say somebody looking for a record, I'm going to spin it over and give him what he needs. And then I got my own artist waiting in the wings. But, you know, I need to build up some create, creative momentum and some capital so I can push my own artists out there. So they waiting in the wings. And once I blow up with other people's songs and other artists, then my artists uh, end up with a better opportunity because then the spotlight's on me and my production, and I can push them out there harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just pulled up Zayn Malik, and I was like, I just put Zayn, and he just automatically popped up. And I see he yeah. sings R&B, pop, and alternative R&B. Now, the music you sent to him, was it a combination of all, or just this, this focus mainly on pop? Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. So my ear is always on the phone. And so when they say pop, I think of, okay, I think of a person's voice, and I think of just popular lyrics, and I think of mm-hmm. softer, softer songs than the hard, extra songs. But then, you know, mm-hmm. my songs always have that funk. I don't know how to pick no pop songs that don't have no funky beats or funky I don't know how to do it. And so the stuff okay. I sent him, you know, he's right on the edge. And his stuff to take him over, like, yo, my stuff is... But, you know, when, when you get a pretty boy like that singing, it's not like the white people going back away from him. They'll just be functified, too, when I send him songs. And I sent him a lot of international songs because he's in Britain. And so the British singers, they have a bigger international scope. And America is really stuck on this little kitty bopper kitty stuff right now, which is really killing our music. Uh, Britain, they're not, they not stuck on that. They still got mature music. So I sent him some stuff that heavyweight, mature stuff for the international crowd. I even sent him a reggae jam, you know what I mean? Because, again, when you go over to London, you know, Brixton is flooded with Jamaicans, and London is very connected to Canada. London is very connected to Jamaica and Africa, and they got that Afrobeat reggae sound that Americans, you know, I think Drake plays with it, Rihanna plays with it, but a lot of Americans, we went away from reggae. But when you go to London, they still own that reggae feel. So I gave him one of them cuts, too. You know, then he plays the guitar. If you see him playing the guitar, I got a guitar with a joint called Sophia that is out of this world. And so, again, it's like, you know, individuals giving me a phone call, getting one conversation so I can talk them into just doing one song. And if he does any of the songs I sent them, it's a wrap, you know what I mean? Because, again, my yeah. songs are out the box. I'm not sending you, you know, regular run-of-the-mill stuff. I'm trying to send you stuff that people are going to be like, wow, who wrote that? Who did that song? You know what I mean? If you got one chance mm-hmm. with these guys, you got to send them something that, you know what I mean, can stand out and not just be a part of the pile of everything else there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you, you see but how I think when, once you go, yeah. exactly. I think once you go to, to London and Britain, um, Omar, I think it's a whole different level of, of music acceptance, the way they look at music, the way they feel about music. You know, the pulse of the music just changes from over here in the States. Yeah, yeah, 
But again, they still got to say yes. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. I, mm-hmm. I was telling somebody a couple of weeks ago, like, yes makes the world go around. Nothing happens without that word yes. You know, so as much as we, we want to say no, 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 realistically, nothing happens. If you guys say no mm-hmm. to this interview, I'm not on this interview. If I say no to being interviewed, I'm not on this. Nothing happens without the yeses. And so that's what makes mm-hmm. the world go around. So I'm waiting for yeses from either one of those camps so I can start this, you know, songwriting career. But I'm going to keep writing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it is what mm-hmm. it is. But somebody got to say yes. And when they finally say yes, or I'm, I'm going to try to get as many people I can to keep saying yes because I got that quota of doing 100 songs a year. <laughs> yep. I love and it. now yes I comes around, it. you'll be ready. I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote a couple new poems, too. You know, I'm still doing poems because I'm, I'm, I'm killing it with the poems. Sometimes I hear a beat where I'm like, yo, this sounds like a hot poem. And so I wrote a poem today called uh, Back in Time. You know, like if we could go back in time, what would we change and stuff? So I came up with that, mm-hmm. and that would be something I would pitch for the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie because what they're doing is going back in time and trying to take secrets from the government back and say so they're going to be jumping in the time machine. So, again, I'm a very conceptual writer, so I came up with something dealing with going back in time, and then I, I wrote another poem like three nights ago. Uh, what was that one called? Uh, the Block. I'm talking about being from the block. You know, a lot of times when people hear it, I'm a book writer, they get that whole intellectual thing, which I, I'm definitely an intellectual, but I'm a, I'm a hardcore intellectual from the city block of Philadelphia. I'm not from the suburbs, grew up in West Philly, moved to Mount Airy. And so a lot of people don't get that until they really talk to me. They're like, yo, he's really hardcore. Like, uh, yeah, I'm still a smart dude, but I'm from the city. And so I wrote a poem where I was talking about that for these young guys because you got all these young guys in rap now that be putting up a bunch of nonsense, you know, making up stuff, being entertaining. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times mm-hmm. I look at these kids, they look like straight suburban wimps. You know, I'm like, dude, you wouldn't last two days in Philadelphia. I grew up in when we fighting every single day of our lives out there boxing and whatnot. I still got boxing skills to this day, man. My boxing skills are, are, are dangerous, you know what I mean? Because we all mm-hmm. have to be that way. So that we fought all the time and forever as a part of the culture. You know, whether you was in a fight or not, you had to be ready for a fight if you, if you threw down. And so I look at a lot of these kids today, like, and them kids be talking all that gang, gang stuff. I'm like, dude, if you get caught without a gun, Somebody beat the, I mean, slap on these, I'm like, these kids, man, you know. And so it's silly when I see some of that. So I wrote a poem where I'm telling I'm from the block for real, where, you know, we grew up with real stuff, but it wasn't about being gangsters and thugs all the time. It was about surviving and trying to get out of there, man, trying to elevate yourself. Mm-hmm. And these kids got the wrong thing now. They entertaining with this nonsense, this, this black hooliganism, this, this black nowhereism. I'm like, what's wrong with y'all? The people that was really in the hood, we were trying to get out of there. We were trying to make something of ourselves. It's been totally reversed right. now. Where these kids is bragging about the hood, and they don't even look like they're in the hood. When you look at these kids, they look like straight suburbanites on a record talking about the hood. I'm like, man, this is silly, <laughs> you know? So, so on that mm-hmm. song there, you know, I'm telling like, I'm from the block for real, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's mm-hmm. a hot, hot poem, hot poem. And I tell these kids, which one of y'all said I can't beat it? Because for the most part, we are the first generation hip hop. I said that on the record 20 years ago. We first generation hip hop. So there's no way these guys can come into this thing and act like we haven't been there. Like like we didn't have house parties and block parties and you know what I mean? Like we grew up with mm-hmm. this music. How y'all gonna push us out the way when we started it? You know, mm-hmm. so it's funny like mm-hmm. that, man. Yeah, but I keep writing poems because you know I still got them skills, man. So. I got an album that I'm putting together, The Old Head Just Spoke. And that's a poem, too. That's the, the intro to the album where I'm talking about, again, being an old head in this music game because music is 
black people's culture as a whole. It's not just young people. I keep paying this guy to, oh, music to young people. What in the heck are we talking about? Are you crazy? <laughs> you know how much, how long black people been doing music and listening to music and being, I'm like, that, that sounds retarded even to say that music is for young people now. Like, who, who said that to you? And so the industry has yeah. really flipped black people's wigs. Like, dude, when, when has black music only been for young people? When has black music right. only been for entertainment? When has black people never been here to uplift our people, to inspire our people, to educate our people, to revolutionize what we're doing? We've always used music to do everything. But these kids need to mm-hmm. find their roots and go back to Africa and ask what the drum was for. It wasn't just to entertain people. We used that drum for a heck of a lot of things, you know? Oh, yeah. And so oh, yeah. so you got you got to get those elders to come back and let them know how many things that music is really used for in our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Music is rooted in our soul. Yeah, you know it. Uh-huh. You know I, it. That Man, I, had, I, had a, I had a grandfather, and he had a, a, a whole household on 38th Street in West Philadelphia. We was playing that, uh, uh, leaning on me, and we were all playing. Dun, 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 so we all learned how mm-hmm. to play the notes on the piano. I was like five years old playing the notes on the piano. <laughs> and the whole household was <laughs> that right there, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, something else, man. So, you know, you grew up with that. And then, again, I grew up in Philadelphia during the 70s when Gambling Hawks were like kings. They had the Philadelphia International Sound in the 70s. And so I happened to be in the right place at the right time. You know, so a lot of these kids just don't know how great my ear is on music. They got no idea. And then my work ethic, you know what I mean? I, I write all the time. I wrote three new songs a day, and I'm going to finish writing one tonight. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like, it's crazy, man. I'm like, I'm probably over 300 songs now. I stopped counting them. I just write them every day. Wow. So when, when that gate opened up, y'all going to be like, wow, mm-hmm. where he come from? With a, dude, I was ready. Y'all just didn't know. I'm ready. <laughs> I know that's right. Oh, my, this yeah. is Tony still. Lisa, you know, you cut in. You know, I'm just. He, he he's in my I'm in the element right now with Omar, but you know every time you come on our show you share something new with us we learn something new about you. So I listen to right. audience just just list three adjectives about you that people will be surprised about. Well, you got to ask me questions. I, I don't think anybody would ever know all of me because I got too many things I'm interested in, too many things I do. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm on a show every day, so you have to be on something every day. And even if I'm on a show every day, you only got an hour. There's no way in the world you can get all of that person. You know, I wrote a book called Sweet St. Louis once, and I had a line in the book where the guy asked the girl, do you want to make a trade? And she was like, trade for what? And he said, a piece of me for a piece of you. And she's like, oh, here we go with the line, right? But she liked the line, so she threw it back to him when she met him up later on in a, in a, a skating ring. And she was like, oh, so you still want a piece of me for a piece? And she kept, they started dating, and she kept throwing that line back. But when I use that line, when you're getting pieces of a person, you can never really know all of that. You can be around. It's always going to be parts of that person that's going to come out, other things you didn't know. It takes a long time to really, really, really. And so when you're talking about a dude like me, man, a lot of times I'm so much into what I'm doing, I don't even talk about other stuff I didn't went through or who I know or all that. You ready? Because I'm, I'm so focused all the time. So every Absolutely. time you talk to me, depending on what you ask me, you'll learn something new because I'm always focused on that particular subject. You know, when I first wrote my first book, it was called Covered on White Campus, and I tried to write about everything in the world. And then once I got out of that book, I said, what the heck am I doing? Well, this is one book. 
And so from that point on, when I write a book, I stick to the subject. And so that's why I've got 28 books. I'm working on 29 with a lawyer right now. he got a book called The Philadelphia Titan, where he took Major League Baseball as a trial for their drug situation with cocaine and steroids and all that kind of stuff in the 80s. And so I'm working on that book with him. But it's a lot of topics that I'm interested in, a lot of movies. I've been listening to people talk about Black Panther, right? And it's black people that don't go to the movies that much. So I'm listening to them. I'm like, man, it sounds like they ain't been to the movies in a year. Do you understand? I go to the movies like 20, 30 times a year, and then I see like four or two or three movies each time I go. I see like 100 movies a year every single year. So when you talk to me as far as movies are concerned, I'm a movie expert. So I'm like, yo, dude, you see one, three movies a year. I'm seeing like 100 movies. I'm really analyzing what I'm in there. So even with that, I've watched more. I have more. I can discuss more. So it's really hard to know all the things about me. I wouldn't even be able to start with, with trying to talk about, you know, how many things are on my mind, you know. And that's just funny. Even with me writing songs where a person would start trying to pigeonhole and say, okay, well, you're an older guy. You're almost 50. You're going to be writing a whole bunch of old stuff. I'm like, not necessarily, dude. I know what these young people are doing. I've been young once. i got two young sons. I'm around young people. I'm reading their Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing their Instagram. I'm watching them on YouTube. And then I'm a book writer. I'm always analyzing. So what makes you think I can't watch kids and understand what they're doing, what, they, what words they're using, what beats they listen to? That's easy for a person to assume that I'm only going to write about this subject. I'm like, no, nah, dude, I've been writing characters for the last 20-something years. That's so when I'm writing songs the song becomes another character. And then I move off that character and go to the next one. So I can write songs about every single subject in the world. All I got to do is study it. You know, so again, when you're asking me, give me something about Omar, man, I, where do I start? Man, where do I start? Okay, well, too much, well because too much Omar is so multifaceted. There's so many different great things about the fabulous Omar Tyree. Give us yeah. three things. Three things that readers and your new um, fan base of listeners of your fabulous music would not expect. Would not three, expect. Yes, give us three off-the-wall mm-hmm. things that you do when, you, when you're trying to create. All right, well, let's go back again. I already said I'm an expert boxer, and I, I would tell most of it, I will knock a whole lot of guys out left or right hand. And I, I bet a whole lot of people don't expect that because I'm a book writer. And so they think of you being like a nerd and, and soft and feminine. You got the wrong dude here, baby. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm highly in boxing. I will, boy, my hands are lethal like Bruce Lee because it's serious. It's serious. So I bet most people would have no idea that that was the case. And a lot of times I don't even use my hand. But if I do, boy, it's, it's going to be a quick work. That I mean, is, is, is that is that good? I'm, I'm in the boxing all the time. That's what it is. It's, it's in my box. That's one thing that people wouldn't know. Uh, let me see. I can ski. How about that? I've been skiing since 17. We went out to Reading, Pennsylvania when I was 17 years old, my senior year of high school, and I had never skied in my life. And as soon as I jumped on them jokers, I went down what they call an expert slope. <laughs> And my friend that took us there, his name was Richard Fernandez. He skied all the time. He was like, Omar, are you, are you sure you want to go down? He's an expert. And I'm talking about, I swear to God, 
I went down extra slopes where if you are a brand-new skier, you do not want to go anywhere near where them expert skiers because it's almost like they're going straight down with no stopping, right? And so I'm flying down there using balance because I'm an athlete. That's another thing. I'm, I'm, I play football and box all the time. And so I'm going straight down the mountain with basically balance. I'm true. And the people watching me, you know, the, the, the monorail that they take them up the mountain, people watching me like, wow, look at this guy, girl, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, I can't even stop. I don't know how to stop. And so once I fell, I fell down off the seat, I'm talking about I must have fell for a good 50 yards. <laughs> and I got back up. I'm talking they had a good – but my friend was like, man, you were really lasting a long time going down there with no skills at all on skis. But then after that, I went to what they call the intermediate slopes, and I was good on them. I was killing it. I was racing down the jump, and people were like, yo, dude, this your first time skiing? Like, Really? And I'm like, yo, dude, no matter what it is, ice skating too. You see, black people can't ice skate. In my neighborhood, we had an ice skating ring at 39th Street. I lived at 38th Street in West Philadelphia. We had an ice skating ring at 39th Street. We went ice skating. I can also swim. We've been swimming. We used to race across the pool when we were five, six years old. And so I was swimming. I had a lifeguard when I was nine years old. Went to camp. You had to tread water, swim across the pool. Though. I was a lifeguard at nine years old with, with, the, with the kids' camp. But, you know, some kids, particularly black kids, they ain't know how to swim. So these are all things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's one thing, like, it's not a problem that I, or not a problem I can't take with at the DJ job. Like, it's nothing I haven't been able to do, man. It's like a whole lot of things that, you know what I mean, I've been able to do. You know, so I think that all those things are things you wouldn't know. Omar can ski, can ice skate, uh, uh, can swim. And been doing it since a young now skiing. I wasn't skiing from a young age because you got to go out to the ski slopes. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I tell you guys this: I took my son skiing, and they were seven and four, and they got into like what they call like the little skiing classes and whatnot. They would they went with the little with the other kids, and 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 jokers went to skiing like I'm talking about like a half a day. Them jokers were pole skiing after that. I was like, wow, them jokers, but they're athletes too, so you just pick it up fast. But, you know, that's just other things. You know, you got to travel around the world and see a lot of things and then do a lot of things. So that would be three things, you know, because, again, I, when you guys ask me questions like that, I don't know where to go with that kind of stuff. So Omar can ski. Omar uh, can, can box. Omar can swim. And he was very diverse his whole life. How about that? And I, I don't know where to start with that. <laughs> well, that was enough. That was yeah, enough. Absolutely was. Yes. Cool. You gave us that cool. and then some. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a great dancer, though. I, I can dance with boxing, but it's like I'm more studying okay, the music. Okay, don't tell nobody you can't dance with Trevor. You're not yeah, I'm not. I, I, was, I was dancing. <laughs> when I was a teenager and they had certain dance moves out, we had this one dance uh-huh. move called the Gigolo and another one called the Don Love. I was pretty good at both of them because I was into those dances. But other than that, I just do the one-two step. You know what I mean? The quick one-two step. <laughs> you know, and that's not that's not because I can't dance. It's just like you're not into it. You know, same thing when people say the white people can't dance. White folks who are into dancing, they can dance, but a lot of them are not into dancing. They really not mm-hmm. into it. I see black mm-hmm. kids teaching each other. If you think about it. Black kids teach each other how to dance. No, you're doing it wrong. You got to do it this way. And they spend a lot of time doing that. White kids don't care like that. They're not sitting there talking about, you got to teach. No, they just do crazy dances, whatever they're feeling, and that's why they can't. But the ones that want to dance, 
the white people that want, mm-hmm. oh, they learn how to dance. I think that's out the window. Oh, we got rid of No, you got to want to dance, and then you'll learn how to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. I think that's that, why you know, how it comes off. How they, that's why it comes off that they look like they're just out there doing anything. <laughs> yeah, because they don't they don't train for it. You know, black kids, when you're doing a dance wrong, listen to black kids. Just get around black. You can go to any black neighborhood right now, and if a black kid is doing a dance wrong, you will hear the other one's options. Oh, you're doing it wrong. You got to do it this way. And so when you do mm-hmm. that, you're training. They're training each other. So we actually train each other how to dance all the time in right. black neighborhoods. All the time. That's, so this whole thing, that's a that's point. Know, it's, it's a training rhythm. We train each other. And now you got these mm. kids got ta- challenges and stuff. They all learn that. But you tell you, what's what they call them, line dances and stuff? Dude, I never mm. get anywhere near that stuff. So started, I like watching people, but I'm like, I ain't getting that line dance stuff. But, again, even with line dancing, what are y'all doing? Y'all learning to dance back and forth over and over again. You know, step by step, you learn to dance. It ain't like you automatically know to dance because you black. That don't work. You got to learn to dance. Mm-hmm. No. Good point. Absolutely good point. See, we learned something else. You don't share more with more than three things with us, Omar. We know you yeah. can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> and and, 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 and that's funny. Now watch this. Now watch this. When you say that, right? Now I told you I'm a boxer. <laughs> So when you say you can't dance, think about it now. Boxing is a dance, too. I will dance tap. Boy, if you, if you guys got boyfriends and sons and cousins and brothers and all, I would tap dance all around them. And they just chump your men. But I'm telling you, then you'd be like, oh, my, I thought you said you can't dance. I know how to do that dance. You know what I mean? That's, that's a different type of dance. So that's you a talking about, Yeah, you talking about that. Think about Floyd Mayweather. Where people can't hit him, but he can hit you. That's dancing. Yeah, so he ain't dancing. No, who's at the top of that he, list is Muhammad he's Ali. Dancing. He did go another one. There you go again. So that, and I'll tell you mm-hmm. now, it, it, Muhammad Ali. I doubt he was in the soul dancing. I I guarantee my, because he wasn't that. He he would talk a lot, but Muhammad Ali wasn't no. I guarantee he wasn't that, a social dancer like that. But when you put him in the ring, that's a different dance. So understand that. You got a lot of guys. I'm going to say this right now. You got a lot of guys that can dance their tails on. Just think about it now. Dancers. Mm-hmm. But if you put them in a boxing ring, boy, I, I, boy, I, I wrap it. You know what I mean? Like, that's a different dance. <laughs> so just think about it. It's a whole think different whole animal. That, think about a whole lot of guys that can dance. You know, wafer bodies, slim bodies. You know, they're wiry. That ain't for box. Oh, dude, when you get in there with a boxer, a thick body dude with muscles all over, and you got this little... Dancer, dude, but that's the wrong place to be dancing. <laughs> you see, <laughs> that's a different dance, yeah. there, baby. You don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. You ain't dancing to James Brown in here. Actually, James Brown, he was a good boxer. He he, he was a good really? boxer. Really? And then Miles, yeah, James Brown was. A, you got to read his autobiography. He was in the box. They didn't show that part in the movie. And Miles Davis was another one. He was another guy. That, so you got to be into it. You know what I mean? Miles Davis was another mm-hmm. one, jazz musician that was in the boxing. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. See? We always learning with you, Omar. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's what I try to do. That's why I write. You know what I mean? I want to impart different information. That's why I'm writing songs yeah. now. I, you know, do you understand? I can't write a song without saying something in it. I don't know how to write frivolous songs. It don't come out of me. Really? Yeah. Every time I write a song, I'm going to say something that's worthwhile. You know what I mean? I don't know how to do mm-hmm. it otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. Preach, brother, teach. Preach, brother, preach, teach. You know, 
it's going to come out. <laughs> the judge will be like, yeah, Omar wrote that song because it's saying something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got but that's keeping name. your sound authentic. That's, that's keeping you and, and your brand authentic. That's you. That's who you are. Yeah. I wrote a song for, uh, well, actually, I had the song done before the, the whole opportunity came up with the Zayn Malithu. I got a song called uh, Feel My Pain. And that's like world yeah. sympathy where he's talking about world poverty and world war and all that. And I could put that on him because when you got a pretty boy like that and you do a video, man, they get a whole lot more people looking at it. You know what I mean? Because they wouldn't expect him to do a song like that. That song would be a worldwide, he would win an award for that, worldwide awards for that song. You know? Can you feel my pain? Whoa, whoa. Can you feel I, I, my pain? I can hear him because he got all right now. Oh, my goodness. You know, and then when he's saying my pain, he's not talking about him. He's singing for the world. You see what I'm talking about? That's why you have to do a video for it, because then you would put the spotlight on and people in poverty and people that, you know, starving, and then people in war, people in jail, that kind of stuff. Then you get it immediately when you see it on the screen. And then him singing with that pretty boy look and his beautiful voice, man, it's mind-blowing. But I grew up with that type of stuff. You know, when we think about mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye, and him singing that beautiful, mama, mama. I mean, it just hit us like, wow. You see what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So we grew up with that. So I understand how to write that way and how to do that to a beat that gives you that same feel and that same vibe. You know, where these mm-hmm. kids, they haven't, they haven't grown up with that because now they're being taught that music is entertainment. And so unless they go back in the crates, they're not getting that type of feel and texture from the music they're listening to. So it becomes an alien format for them, where it's not for me because we grew up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all wow. grew up with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Remember, Prince, remember Prince's Purple Rain. You know what I mean? You're talking mm-hmm. about his pop and his love. Remember that song "I Would Die for You." When you see the, the movie, man, and his and his pop said that. Remember that line with pop? I would die for you after he beat his mom up. And then we talking about domestic abuse right there in the movie. So it's like, and I mm-hmm. remember that like yesterday. Did, you, did y'all wow. see that movie Prince Purple Rain? Y'all remember that movie? I haven't yeah, seen that in a while. Quiet. May have yeah. to go revisit yeah. that. See that? See that? It's been a while. I got movies in yes. my head like Rolodex. I can bring them up, pop them up. That was the line his pop said after he was fighting with his mom and, and Prince was upset about the whole thing. And, it, you know, he had a little tantrum. And then he heard his pop mm-hmm. shout, I would die for you. And then he wrote that song, man. That, that song, he wrote a whole lot of great songs in that Daggone movie. That movie was fabulous. I was like, yo, this movie, that's the best music movie ever made, man. That bag on Purple Rain. But you talk to these kids, they ain't never seen that movie. They don't know what the heck I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, and then you're going to say you're going to outright me? Like, you really know more about me? Like, just because you in it? Like, really? Okay. You know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that. They need to, they got oh, yeah. that next, but they better call it up. Yeah. And then Sparkle was a heck of a movie. They they redid a new one too. The Sparkle was, joint. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> think about think about all the soundtracks we had in our music. How deep those mm-hmm. soundtracks were. How intricate the songs touched you. How the song and the movie, you know, fit like a perfect jigsaw puzzle. They don't even do that mm-hmm. anymore. Now they say inspired by the movie. It ain't in the movie. It's some hashtag stuff on the side. I'm, like, inspired by the movie. How come it's not in the movie so we can feel the song while we're watching the characters? That's how soundtracks used to be. When we start talking about mm-hmm. Shaft and the Mac and Black Caesar and Cooley High, are you kidding me? I mean, we listen oh, to the cool song. Cooley High. 
That was it, boy. It's so hard to say goodbye to you, <laughs> boy. We, we broke down and cried every time. Oh, and then let, the five hearts. Let heart us find out who can sing, Mr. Tyree. <laughs> hey, y'all, y'all remember the five hearts when 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 the boy was singing in church? Wait, boy, I broke uh-huh. down and cried. I was in I was in D.C. Georgetown had a, a movie theater. I was in D.C. Boy, when he we did that, I was I was crying. My, and it was seven people. I counted people. Seven people in the theater. The black people was not up on 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 the, on the five heartbeats when it first came out. They were not up. Mm-hmm. That's a classic movie, man. You talking about music again? When, when he hit that daggone note, I feel like oh boy, I broke up. I was done. Oh my god, I, that boy, that it just gets you. So you know, people they got no idea how much I'm in the music, man. They 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 don't, they don't understand it. Do you understand? I had an apartment in Hyattsville, Maryland. I had no TV. I had no furniture. I had no food. I was eating at Wendy's all the time. I was a hustler, right? But you know what I had in that apartment? I had one of the little boxes where you have one tape side, and I would count your tape, tape, and all I had was my music, and that was it. Music and reading. That was it. And I would go to the movies, go to sports events and all that. But that's it, man. I've always been around music. I used to buy like six CDs every single Tuesday, too, religiously, and then listen to the CDs while I'm distributing books up and down the East Coast. You know, my ears are bad now from listening to music so loud. So people got no idea, man. When I finally break these doors down, they're going to learn. You know, like that Jay-Z joint from, from the Cuba. Y'all going to learn today. I love that song. That's a hot song. Y'all remember that song from Jay-Z? The Men of the Cuba? You, you, you taking one? it back, Omar. Yeah, man. It ain't taking back. You got to understand, my memory is just, man, it's like, so it's not back to me. It's like yesterday. All that stuff is crystal clear to me when I bring stuff up. And people be like, wow, that's a long time. It's, my, mind ain't, my mind is structured where it's all in my mind like a roller deck, like today, tomorrow. Like one of the first songs I ever heard, I don't know, it had to be a popular song. Every time I was in the car, my mom would sing like that song came on. They had a song called Have You Ever Seen It? Have you ever seen a my oh my? I'm talking about that's like the first song I, I remember ever that song. Heard. Yeah. It's like the first song I ever heard. Every time I hear that song, I think of my mom in the car, her dropping me off at daycare and picking me up. It seemed like that song was always on. Have you ever seen it? That's the first song of my life, dude, that I remember. You know, and I know the song came out before me. You know, maybe it came out in 72. You know, when you were a baby, you don't remember stuff when you were a baby. But I remember that song, you know what I mean, in my early years. Let me find out you remember stuff as a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember the first time my mom dropped me you off. Probably you probably do. Remember, you, no, you don't remember everything, but I remember the first time she dropped me off at this new daycare because you're brand new. And so it's dramatic when you so when they and I, this way with me being a creative person I I, I I BS you guys not she dropped me off at this joint in Southwest Philadelphia and I was a new kid in there and I was always into giving toys like names and voices and all that so I always had that gift of storyteller and the first time I got dropped off at this new daycare I'm playing with toys and making them you know talk to each other get them out get them out out out. And the other kids were looking at me like, what the hell is he doing? And I said, a guy. And then the other kids were like, I want that toy. And then they took the toys I had, then I went to some other toys, and I did the same thing with the new toys. Get them out And the kids looking at me like, what the hell? And so it was one of them deals where I can take something and create. I always, I was born with it. It's a gift. 
And then I start going to the movies. I walk out the movies, memorizing lines, doing voices and all that. So we used to go to Kung Fu movies, and I come out with all the voices memorized and stuff. <laughs> Teacher who, if you learn the Wu Tang technique, master, why so much fighting? Yeah, he had the girl voices, right? Teacher, how come we Wait, did you did you have the delay as well, Omar? Did you have the delay? Did I have a who? Did you have the delay when you were doing all the, you know, the Kung Fu movies? You used to always have that delay when they dialogue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they mouth Yeah, I did, did all that stuff. Yeah, man. But I was like five, six, seven years, and I had two uncles that used to take me to the movies all the time in West Philadelphia, Andre and Monte. And they loved taking me because they like, and they would call them triple features back then. You would see three movies for the price of one. So you went there for like five hours, six hours watching <laughs> movies. But I always did that. So even now, right, I'm almost 50 years old. I go to the movies. I'm in there four or five. Everybody, like, oh, I ain't going to movies with you, man. I'm not trying to be in the movies. Or they can't do it. So I go in there all day. I'm sitting there watching. But when I'm watching movies, it's not entertainment for me. It's art. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm breaking it down. That's how my mind thinks. I'm breaking it down. Why is this movie good? Why did it work? Why didn't it not work? What didn't I like about it? So if you ask me uh-huh. about a movie, I can break it down. So I'm not going to break uh-huh. down uh, 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 Black Panther for everybody. I just <laughs> say that I watch, I watch a lot more movies than y'all, so I'm waiting for the next Black Panther because a lot of times uh-huh. when I do the first one, a lot of times they do the first one, they got to set up the world and all that, and so it, it don't mm-hmm. move as fast. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to give you some perfect examples, too. I never liked the first Star Wars. I thought it was corny and campy. But when the Empire Strikes Back came out, oh, my God, the Empire Strikes Back. With the, I, the first Aliens movie, it's supposed to be a mm-hmm. scary movie. I was like, ah, you took forever just to figure out what the thing was. Then it was in dark rooms and all that. You couldn't really... But when they came out with the aliens, with the crawl, the aliens too, and they had all the aliens, man, that was a that, – that, so, again, a lot of times, the first one, you just set it up, you see? And uh-huh. even with that uh-huh. new Planet of the Ace movie, the first one was excellent. It was like a four. But the second one, when they introduced Cobra and the, and the whole, you know, talking Ace, oh, my God, that was a five-star. And so a lot of times mm-hmm. in the first movie, but again, if you don't go to the movie a lot, I'm hearing people talking about Black Panther like they ain't never seen the movie they like. And I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but I get it. I get it. They don't go to the movies like that. So I get it. I forgive them. But I'm like, come on, man. This, this, that movie one. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Like, come on. But they haven't seen enough movies to understand. I've seen a lot of black movies, African movies. I've seen British movies, Mexican movies. I've seen all kinds. I've seen movies in different countries. All kind of stuff to see how they react and stuff, and so I, I'm 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 over that. Like I was excited about the movie too. I'm gonna go see it a couple more times, but I'm like, no, dude, I'm waiting for the next one so they can, you know, what I mean, go even more intrinsic than than they did with this one. But it was a good start, though. Good start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. Yeah. Wow. Well, Omar, you have shared so much with us tonight. That's why we always love when you come into the chat room. You know, we well, never know what direction our, our interview is going to go, and it's always a blessing to, to just hear it and see where it goes. So you give us your interview legs, and it just goes where it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm talking for a long time. Just imagine I start doing these interviews for writing music, and they'd be like, well, we, we thought you were a book writing guy. Like, you know, I'm in the sports. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, you into some of everything. They don't get it. I'm going to tell you a quick story before we leave, right? When I was trying to put movies together, uh, when I first moved to Charlotte in the early 2000s, you know, I had a guy that was in the movies, and he knew I was a book writer, 
So he was like, uh, well, you know, you're trying to make movies. You were master watcher. And, and before he said that, I got a, 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 a dedicated movie room in my house with a 92-inch screen TV, surround sound, all that. I'm really in the movies. I still go to the movies. They got the, so before he's talking to me, he's like, you got to watch a lot of movies. Guys. And then I invited him in my movie room, and he was like, oh. <laughs> like, I'm like, so what's all that you talking about? He was like, oh, you got surround sound. You got, wow, this is. It's something like people, they start assuming stuff because I'm a book writer. It's like, come right. on, man. Like, you know, please don't. Re- and then I had another dude that was someone, well, you, you may not be in the sports. I had dudes, you know, sometimes people say, you know, my pop is a book writer, you know, my husband's a book. And people start immediately typecasting it. Oh, he ain't in the sports. He ain't in. I'm like, yo, here we go. I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> What's Philadelphia? Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. What's the, you, can, mm-hmm. you can rag about the Eagles and whatnot. But Philadelphia is known for being crazy about sports, right? Have you ever seen any Philadelphia that ain't crazy about? So I'm like, yo, dude, you talking to the wrong person talking about you ain't in the sport. I'm like, are you crazy? We grew up every day playing sports. Like, we were ready to kill each other over sports in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? It's part of our blood pipeline, you know. So that's just what it is, man. It's a whole lot of times people, they assume things that they don't know. So it'll be a whole lot of mm-hmm. things. The more you talk to people in here, the more you can find out of about who they are and what they know. And it'd be a long time. I'm almost 50 now, so with the memory I have, that's a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, I can I can talk forever. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for, for the time that you j- did share with us tonight. And uh, we learned more than three things about Mr. Omar Leash. <laughs> right, exactly. And you, and you can still go on, online and check out them songs, The Black Panther, and the NBA contract by the old head, Omar Tyree. And last year I got the, the songs, um, uh, Reach for the Sky, which is a great kid song. You can look that up by Omar Tyree. And also 16 again. I did a song about, you know, reverting back to 16 again when we controlled hip-hop, you know, which that, that'd be, what, three score years back. I'm 48, that's 16 times three. That's how I started that rhyme. You know, that, that's, you know what I mean? So that's great. But uh, them, all them songs, man, oh. My goal was 100 songs a year. So, so you guys go ahead and pray for it. I got to get that first hit. I get that first hit, man. It's off and rocking. All right. Well, we, we, just, we can't wait. We are excited for that first hit. We're going to play a little bit of that Black Panther. So we want you to introduce it before we play it and you leave out of the chat room. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Introduce it for us. Oh, Omar Tyree, the Black Panther, the old head. YP the Prophet and Dre Habit from Hot Lava Entertainment. Imagine an advanced technological world where everything is black. And I mean everything. That would be crazy, right? And dope. Like Hot Lava Entertainment. Black hands, black, black hands. Black king, black swing, black jeans, black suit, black hero, black city, and black troops. Black town, black gown, black tie, black girls, black guys. 
Colin Kaepernick got black balls for a black fight to protect black life like a black knight. I got black love for a black white. Two black sons grew up in a black hood with a black mom and a black pop. Even black cops wrote about black people and black books. Graduated from a black school, ate you when I'm old now, but I'm still cool. Black hands, black, black hands, yeah. Black hands, black, black hands, what? Black hands, black, black hands, black hands, black hands, black, black hands. I got him saying it's a new black, but black is beautiful. I thought that you knew that. Make black bright as red. How you do that? If you disrespect my color, beat you blue back. Uh, I'll be dressed in black, skin is black, I'll lose, learn, come back, and win is black, started black, finish black, that's a fact, wear black, back to back, I move some tan, I'm back to black, it ain't no color, half is black, and after that, black inventions, patent that, we the ones they expect to bring the package back, that's the rap, you can do it this, or you can do it black, they label this as niggas cause we great and that's a fact, black chain, black watch, black dress, black locks, black power, black stock. Trying to make the song sound like 
what I'm what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? So the NBA song got that bouncy, you know, atmosphere, arena sound. You know, it's different sound. So if I if I create mm-hmm. a song for you, I'm gonna make it sound like what it's supposed to sound like. You know, so mm-hmm. you got you got to understand how to read music in that way. What is this music saying to you? What's the tone of the music? What's the color of the music? And then you want to be different each time because the song should be different. So a lot of these artists now, they sound the same way on every single song. No matter what the music is going, they sound the same way. And I'm like, man, that's not creating a piece of art. You know what I mean? You're just throwing your same vocals on another beat and another, you know, real art is about painting a different, you know, portrait each time you, you put something out there, you know? So that's what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, mission accomplished. Congrats. I like that. Yeah, so we got to spread the word. You can get that song you guys just heard. You can download it. You can uh, stream it on Spotify. All you got to do is plug in the Black Panther, the old head, Omar Chari, or you look at everything black and find that joker and download it and then stream it. And I got a video coming in the next week. Wow. Yeah. He's doing you, man. You're doing awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And That's you guys great. wish me luck on, on landing these first songs. You know, I got, you know, I got songs. I got songs for Chris Brown. I got songs for Rihanna. I got songs for Jay Z and Puffy. I got songs for the Migos, who hide as I don't know what right now. I got songs for that Philadelphia dude, Lil Uzi Vert. I got a song right now called Emancipation Proclamation for Meek Mill that's in jail right now. This song is dynamite, but I don't know how long he's gonna be in there. You know what I mean? So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'd be having to hold that song for two years. I don't know if I'll hold it for two years, but the <laughs> song is on it's on point like a champ. You know, so again, mm-hmm. when I think about things and the beat comes to me and then the lyrics come to me, I put it together and I just put it in my computer and wait for those opportunities to come. And when they finally come, Joe will be like, wow, you had all this stuff waiting. And be, yeah, definitely. You know, I got a jam. You I got ready. a jam right now for Puffy's son. He got a son now. Uh, what's his name? Christopher. Yeah, Christopher Combs. Uh-huh. And this is young son, and he's trying to put him again. I, I got a song for him, man. It's awesome for the summer. But you know, you got to get in position to pitch those guys and get them to say yes. That's the bottom line. Right. People got to say yes. You got to try it. You know. That's it. Green eggs that's and it. ham. You got to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Omar, for sharing that. Thank and, you, uh, that song is going to be in our rotation. I love that. Oh, lady. thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's right on point. Thank you. You're so welcome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'll keep hitting you guys. I'll say like every three to four months, I'm going to keep, because I'm going to keep doing it. So in three to four months, I'll have like 10, 10 songs placed or something like that, maybe 20. And then you guys will be like, wow, Omar, we see Omar doing it, you know. And then after like three months after that, I had like all them summer jams coming out, and I had like 30, 40 songs, and you guys would be like, wow, Omar. And then y'all couldn't play all the songs. I had to pick one or two, like, okay, I got too many songs, play this one. You know what I mean? It would be, <laughs> be too many to play. That library is going to be exploding. Yeah, you know I got a fly girl song too. Y'all, y'all know that I got that. I can't play that song yet because the young lady that did it, she's out of London and she's Nigerian. And her parents, you know, her parents are like, "Well, what's this contract about? We have to see." And so her parents are ready for it. So I said, "Okay, I got to come back to her when I'm really ready to do it with some money because you know she's like the one child out of eight, and they look at her as like you know the meal ticket. 
And so when you're in that mm-hmm. situation, you got to bring money to the table. And this girl, right. when I tell you this girl, is she's going to shut the... She's going to shut it down. This girl is bad. And I'm talking about songwriting and delivering. You know, she was one of the few young people that could actually keep up with me in writing. When I come up with an idea uh-huh. and send it to her, and she finishes uh-huh. that same night, and it's dope. And I'm like, yo, this girl, and, she, and so we did it. She had a song already done called Fly Draw, but then I put the beat to it and then, you know, tightened it up for her, and it's fabulous. And I was ready to put it out in September. And then sent them the contract, and everything stopped. You're not doing this. You're not. I'm like, yo, man, we just getting started. I ain't got no puffy money yet. Let's get started. You know, but so I got to bring it back to her. And get, and she still, we still got the song. I got it, but I can't play it until, you know, I got the contract signed off, and it's all legal and all that. But it's a hot fly girl song, man, Dynamite. And she wrote it herself. She had a name off the inspiration to my book. Mm-hmm. And wow. didn't well, I can't wait to hear that. Here. Yeah, man. I, I, she got that Afro beat thing, and she liked the funk of the hip hop, man. And then she's in London, so they got a lot of Caribbean people, so she can do the reggae rhythm, too. Oh, this girl talented mm-hmm. as ever. I said, man, wow. you can go everywhere. And she got the Diana Ross look, too. How old is she? 17 years old. She turned 18 this month. Wow. In fact, she might be 18 already. I think her birthday is February. Yeah, so she's 18 years old, and she goes to the British school. That it's called the um, the the School of Performing Arts. It's the same school that Adele graduated from and Amy Winehouse. But this girl mm-hmm. is black, you know what I mean? So I was like, you know, they, they don't treat the black people the same way. But they got other black stars coming out of London. But she is fabulous, and she, she's mm-hmm. workable where, you know, she's willing to take advice. And so she, a lot of these American kids, man, they get on this Instagram and this Twitter stuff and and uh, the SoundCloud, and they start doing mixtapes, and they think they, you know what I mean, they don't want to listen to nothing. I'm like, wow, really? You know, and then people follow mm-hmm. that stuff they put out, and it's like, now they, they, they can't hear nothing. I don't want to hear nothing. You know, I can't hear nothing from you because I got a little audience. You know, 100 people like my song. You know what I mean? And you can't tell them nothing. <laughs> you know, so this girl is what they call, what do you call it, coachable? She's very coachable. Yep. Coachable. You know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so she going wow. in, but you know, I got I got impressive parents with some paper. So I said, All right, she's not going nowhere because I know how the industry is now. If you don't have social media numbers, where well, she had just mm-hmm. jumped on social media when she met me on Twitter, she had six followers, including me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you wow. know the the industry the way it's set up now, they're not going nowhere near you unless you've already marketed to the point where everybody knows you. Or that's the only time they buy these. They buy these kids. That's what they do. They buy right. them. And so now these right. kids don't want to work with anybody. But the, so it's really, if you think about it, it's a new form of slavery where these kids won't work with their own parents, their own people around them, nobody, until these labels come with the big money to buy them out. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. sad. And, they won't let, and that's why so much of that garbage movie is getting out there because they're able to do their own thing until the labels come. And then by that time, they've done, done their own thing with no tutelage, no wisdom, nothing uh-huh. from anybody else, and it goes straight to the uh-huh. labels. And then the labels say, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. It's making money. Wow. So I even, got a, I even got a song for that. My sons kept saying that, like, they're making money, Dad. You can't complain. They're making money. 
I came up with this song called Don't Matter If You Like It, I'm Making Money. I don't care if you like it and make money. You can hate it if you want, but I'm making money. You can die if you die. And you got that thing. Because that's what they said now. It don't matter if you hate it and make money. I don't care if you don't like it. It's making money. You can hate it all you want, but it's making money. You can hate it if you die. You can make it. You know what I mean? That's how easy making songs is for me. So I made that. And so I, was, I was thinking about that. Like, yo, dude, that's a hot joint. But that's what they're saying. It don't matter what you You can you're make a song about. out of anything. Yeah, it don't matter. I'm making money. Okay, what you say, wow. I'm making money. It's like, okay, so you feed your people poison. You're you selling us down the creek, you know what I mean? But you're making money. You know, so that, that's where they are because they're kids and they don't know any better. You know, so they look at it. They, they, use, they use that word hating all the time. Oh, you hating. Dude, I'm listening to your music. I want to give you better music. I'm not trying to stop you. I'm a hustler, too. I see what you're doing. But when I'm listening mm-hmm. to it and I'm trying to play it and I got to keep turning it down because I'm embarrassed when people look at me. And that's you know what I mean. You, gotta, when you play these kids' music and you, you at the stop sign, right? You got to turn it down because the carpet. I mean, I'm tired of doing that, man. Like, play, give me something I can blast. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to have to have you back into the chat room. Uh and so we can see what else you have cooking. You always have some very um, great projects going on. We are super proud of you here on Let's Chat. I know that, Dad. I know you say you're retired, but I know that. I give you a year or two, another book will drop. I believe it. I'm yeah. putting out there in the atmosphere. You can say no all you want, but it doesn't matter. She's going to get like a I book said, out of you, Omar. Yes, yes, yes makes the world go wrong, right? That's, on that's right. But the, 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 here's the problem with books now. We got to get more people to say yes to reading again. That's the issue. So even if I say yes to writing another book, we got to get more people to say yes to reading. And right now, the word I'm getting from a lot of used to readers, that's the word, used to. I used to love your books. I used to read all the time. I used to be in a book club. Well, I used to have all time to read. Why well, used to look that used to? That used to ain't doing us any good. And they're telling us all the time they don't have time to do it anymore. You know, so that's the problem we have with reading the books now. Hmm. Well, yep. not everybody. We still read. We still love to read. Okay. <laughs> Good for you guys. We still yeah. love to read. We are readers first. <laughs> you but thank you once again. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you know, you're, this is your home. You're always welcome back here to the Doors of Less Chat. Uh, and you guys keep rotating that Black Panther song from the old head, Omar Chai, Hot Lava Entertainment. <laughs> we will. Omar, you enjoy the rest of your weekend. You're very welcome. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. He's always amazing when he comes in the chat room, Leaf. <laughs> Absolutely. So, this okay. is it for Let's Chat. We appreciate you guys coming to kick it with us. We will be on a brief spring break. So mm-hmm. we'll be back the 14th of March. Where we'll have the fabulous... Um, we're going to have Coco Brown. Mm-hmm. And... Kelly Kells, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, look I'm still finalizing you guys. that. Those, they're both comedians. So I'm still finalizing that. Mm-hmm. 
We glad you enjoyed the rest of your weekend, and thanks again once again for tuning in to Let's Chat. If you missed any of our interview, no worries. Just hit those archives, as Miss Leisha says. And uh, we out. Good night. Good night, everybody. Oh, I'm a black taco. Imagine an advanced technological world where everything is black. And I mean everything. That would be crazy, right? And dope. Like hot lava entertainment. Black hands, black, black.